Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. The company Colt that created the original AR-15 semi-automatic rifle is now suspending production of that rifle and others for the consumer market. Colt's CEO reaffirming the company's commitment to the Second Amendment, but saying tonight the demand for, quote, modern sporting rifles is down. Several other companies will still make AR-15-style weapons available. The AR-15 is among the most lethal and most popular guns you can buy in America, with 11 million currently on the streets. But in a statement today, Colt, the West Hartford, Connecticut-based company that manufactures the rifle, announced that it was suspending production for the civilian market because there are already so many of the weapons out there. The AR-15-style weapon is the gun of choice for many mass shooters, from the massacres at Newtown to Parkland to Las Vegas. But in the wake of these shootings, there has been a backlash against the military-style weapons, which can kill several people within seconds, like this gunman in Dallas three years ago who killed five policemen. Families of the Newtown victims have sued other gunmakers and Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke, who represented El Paso in Congress, recently called for the guns to be confiscated. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 23rd of September, year of our Lord, 2019. And that is the media misrepresenting cult. That's not why they're doing it. But of course, you know, can we expect anything other than that from media? So today we got some stupid dim stuff. We got the climate strike. It's not going to be that long. The sound bites will be long, but it'll be... Uh, Short on content, because they literally just suck. Um, we'll do some hate and news and social media nuggets. So, to get back to that subject, since we're just going to dive right in. Oh, although, I do want to give a shout out to Indonesia. 50 listens. Wow. Very impressive. So, whoever's in Indonesia listening, welcome to the show. I hope it's entertaining for you. Um, and use the email, F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at Gmail. Get on the show. I'll give you a shout-out. The actual uh, VP, Dennis Velo, Colts president, excuse me, and chief executive officer, said in a statement that the change is a result of market forces and not political pressures following several mass shootings where firearms were used. The fact of the matter is that over the last few years, the market for modern sporting rifles experienced significant excess manufacturing capacity. Given this level of manufacturing capacity, we believe there's an adequate supply of modern sporting rifles. And what it really comes down to is those that don't anything about guns, they're fucking super expensive. Colts aren't cheap. That's what I had in the Army, for Christ's sake. So they're really expensive, and people are going with cheaper models. You know, that's that's all it is. But let them have it. Fucking a woman confronts Beto O'Rourke over his claim that he's going to confiscate guns. My son, Zach of Tennessee, who contributed all our Lighter Faraday, sent me, I am 776% sure that nobody's taking my guns. He said it last podcast, I couldn't fit it in. 
but he's spot on because this is what the old lady said. And then we'll go straight into a soundbite of the climate strike, which you can expect the media was all in. Owning Americans that heard your speech and heard what you had to say um, regarding hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15s yes! and AR-15s. Let's, let's be respectful, let's be respectful. Well, I am here to say hell no, you're not. Um, so, with that, um, I would like to know how you intend to legislate evil, because it is not the gun, it is the heart of the man that does that. We all have stories, excuse me. Let's, let's, let's allow her to finish, please, please, please. We please. can all have these stories, we all have the experiences. I was living in Aurora during Columbine. I had just recently moved um, when the Aurora shootings happened, yet I have very close ties here. Yet all of those people were there defenseless. They had no, no they to defend themselves no, against a crazed shooter. So I want to know how you intend to legislate the hearts of men and leave American citizens like my felt, my, like myself, American mothers. I have four children and five foot zero, one hundred pounds. Cannot really defend myself with a fist. It's okay. Let's, please, let's allow her to finish. I don't have my AR-15 today. I have my wallet. Don't worry, sir. I have your back. Um, anyway, I want to know how you're going to legislate that because a criminal by defense breaks the law. So all you're going to do is restrict law-abiding citizens like myself. We all know that you, sir, have a criminal history, and I understand that burglars do not like do not like armed defense. Yes, sir. Uh, burglars do not like armed defense, yet that is a right that we have that shall not be infringed in America. Bootlicker! Okay. I, I really appreciate the question, and the presumption in this There are some really extraordinary scenes happening right now as that worldwide walkout gets underway, and it's really being led by teens, you can see them there, that's Berlin, all taking on climate change. Look at that crowd, wow. Trying to make a difference. Children leading the way. If we don't do this, there'll be no future for us to work in. Led largely by school-aged children who say, now is the time to strike back against climate change. What's so striking, besides just the sheer size of protesters here, are the age of people who are demonstrating. Almost all of them are students. This group behind me, just nine years old, we spoke to a group of 17-year-olds who said they're here today to fight for their future. Here in London, we've been speaking to protests who say climate change is the defining issue of their time. And if more isn't done, we're going to see a lot more protests like and coming up, Voice for Change, how one 16-year-old girl is pushing Congress to fight the climate crisis. And coming up, Greta goes to Washington, the 16-year-old environmental activist, tells Congress they're not doing enough to fight climate change. Never mind the grown-ups taking a page from her. Both Stephanie and I, as we're watching that, are going to take that clip and show it to our kids today to see exactly. if they've amounted to anything, because that's kind of impressive. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Tonight, when no one in my house wants to do homework, wants to take a shower, <laughs> wants to even just play clear that. their dishes from the dinner table, I'm just going to play that on a loop for them. Good one, Mom. Welcome back. Millions of young people around the world are taking to the streets today to call for action on climate change. The Global March includes events in 150 countries. What started this morning in Australia, Asia, and Africa is now surging across Europe 
and the Americas. In Berlin, protesters used a striking visual message to push for action, standing on ice blocks with nooses around their necks. A stark call for change before it is too late. In that, you actually heard MSNBC mock their own kids and the media carrying these cultists doing hangings. No climate protest is too extreme for MSDNC. The network has been pushing a global warming activism all week and on Friday featured, without any critical commentary, a simulated hanging. The network also touted the climate protest featuring far-left congresswomen AOC, anti-Semite Omar, Anna Presley, Bernie Sanders, the 2 p.m. hour, guest host Yasmin Vosagin, yeah, I don't know his surname, prudently hyped a picture of hangings. Millions of young people are taking to the streets to call for action on climate change. Global March includes events in 150 countries. We start this morning in Australia, Asia, and Africa, and now surging across Europe and America. In Berlin, protesters use a striking visual message to push for action. Standing on ice blocks with noose around the neck, a stark call for change before it's too late. And they continued with the lie, the U.S. is the largest emitter of those carbon dioxide emissions. It's all over the place. Other article, media hype, no future, no children, climate movement. How many people have to join before something becomes a movement? If the cause is climate change, the answer is fewer people than there are in Homer, Alaska, population 5697. Even though there were only a little over a 1,000 signatories that day, USA Today hyped a new climate change movement called No Future, No Children, September 19th. 18-year-old Canadian Emma Lim has pledged not to have children or government take serious action. I'm giving up on my chance of having a family because I only have children. If I know I can keep them safe, it breaks my heart. But I created this pledge because I know I'm not alone. I'm not the only young person giving up lifelong dreams. Drama, drama, drama. Just like transgender. Fad, fad, fad. Uh, we've read the science, and now we're pleading with our government. CBS, Vice News, and Newsweek also covered Lim's extreme promise between September 16th and 19th. NPR started it, asked in 2016, should we be having children in the age of climate change? Should we? Panicky New York Times, climate crusade, feed kids, fears, our terrifying world. Ugh. They went to the children for their apocalyptic-sounding international climate reporter, Samini Sagabuta. That's not her name, but I don't know how to say it. It's a huge two-page story with photos around the world. Young people around the world take to the streets. Text box, anxious about the future and doing something about it. Doing something about it apparently translates to skipping class. That's the truth there. Nobody fucking wanted to say about it. This is our terrifying world featuring photographic profiles of six young climate activists worldwide. Their cities are running out of water. Droughts are driving their friends off their farms. Mosquitoes are showing up places where they've never seen them. The future of the planet seems so uncertain that they confess to being afraid and anxious because they're fucking being brainwashed. But nobody played this crazy shit. Here's Booker taking a question from a college student. What are we teaching in college? How to be inco-fucking-herent? I mean, seriously. God, this is just a fucking cult.
I'm a sophomore studying environmental biology. Uh, I'm 19 years old, and like so my age, I feel really visceral anxiety about every day. Um, and today, as we speak, of young people all around the world are uh, streets uh, and going on strike to demand class because we feel this incredible urgency. Uh, if we're going to have a livable future, the Green New Deal, and we need it as soon as possible. My question is, how do you plan as president to deal with opposition uh, from Republicans, conservative Democrats, and would you consider supporting filibuster reform as a way to make the Green New Deal? Hi, this is Senator Chuck Schumer, and I'm here at Brooklyn Bridge Park overlooking the canyons of Manhattan along our beautiful Brooklyn waterfront. Our waterfront is so varied, some of it really built up, like here. But you go to the southern end of Brooklyn, and it's among the most beautiful, pristine wetlands in all of America. And now I ride my bike on Saturday. I go alone, don't like to be with anyone. I'm not a spandex guy. I ride slowly and take in the beauty of Brooklyn. And I wonder if it'll be here for my new grandson, Noah, eight months old. The birth of Noah has even strengthened my view that we have to take bold, strong action to prevent climate change even more than ever. I feel more strongly about it than I ever have, and I've always felt strongly about it. And will these views, will this beauty of Brooklyn and the rest of the earth be even available to him as carbon pollutes our atmosphere? So we need bold, strong, even radical action to stop climate change. And the fact that my eight-month-old grandson deserves to see the same kinds of beauty that his parents' and grandparents' generations saw makes me feel even more strongly and importunes me to act even stronger to prevent climate change and carbon from polluting our atmosphere. Congressman Jerry Nadler. Thank you very much. We talk about a climate crisis, and indeed it is a climate crisis. But people have no idea how great a crisis it is or how pressing it is. People think, people think, well, the sea levels are rising. It'll cost us $100 billion to relocate. A few million people will drown in Bangladesh and India, but it's, and that's bad enough. But it's much, much worse. Much, much worse. I have a 13-month-old granddaughter. And when I look at her, I get terrified. Because I don't know if human life will survive 50 years. We may face, the climate scientists tell us, that we may face the sixth mass extinction in the history of the globe. If the oceans acidify, which they're beginning to do, it will destroy the entire food chain and essentially all that will be left will be bacteria and maybe some plants. And none of us, none of our children, no mammals, no animals, except for amoeba. This is what the scientists tell us we face in the next 50 years. We have to stop this.
The Green New Deal, absolutely. We have to do that. And I'm very glad. And I'm very glad to see all of you here today because we have to start the pressure campaign to get rid of those ignoramuses in the Senate and the, the ignoramus in chief. The ignoramus in chief in the White House. You know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump says he knows better than all the scientists. His, he knows better than all the scientists. His gut, his gut tells him better. But what if he's wrong? Is he willing to gamble all of human life on his gut instinct? The answer is yes, he is. And that's why, among many other reasons, we have to change who's there in the White House. And we have to make sure that people feel the depth and the immediacy of this crisis, which is approaching us much more rapidly and much worse than the scientists even told us 20 years ago and 10 years ago. So I'm glad to see you here because half measures will not do. We are facing a crisis. If, if, if we had a, a, a world war, God forbid, the country would mobilize. This is more important than a world war, and the country must mobilize, the world must mobilize for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're so grateful to Congressman Nadler. Game over, man. Game over. about with for my seven-year-old um, I'm worried that there won't be any salmon in the Pacific Ocean um, I'm worried um, that I will have to explain to him that we allowed the oceans to warm enough that we destroyed a species on the backs that ancient cultures rest that feed the forests where he was born in British Columbia and the oceans oh my god I'm so much more worried about that than deficits, um, and, and among so many other things that we can never reverse if we do. And I really wish that we were talking more about those kinds of deficits. We hear that politicians, that baby boomers, all these people call us Generation Z, the last letter of the alphabet, because we are going to be the last generation to survive. 
But no, we refuse to take that. We refuse to be the last generation. We are not Generation Z. We are Generation GND. Generation Green New Deal. We refuse to be the last livable planet. We just, oh shoot, give me a sec. Fun. We refuse to be the last generation to thrive. We are going to give it to the generations to come. Oh gosh, I'm done. Passing it on. Thank you guys. I'm done. I'm done. The Booker soundbite just perfect, but in there you hear Schumer, Nader, end of the world, Fonda yelling at vegans. So it looks like they don't have all their shit together. Kids, just Andy and Geo getting blocked by fucking Nazis, man. They ain't gonna play any of that shit. That is not gonna hit the fucking airwaves. New York Times thrilled with children climacrescent. Send us your protest sign pics in the article. Tens of thousands of young people around the globe are expected to go on strike on Friday to man action on climate crisis. They know that if they we don't solve this crisis now, we may soon have an unlivable climate, and they refuse to accept the idea that our politicians won't do anything about it. They are in open revolt, and though their vague outsized demands for an end of fossil fuels mirrors those of older environmentalists, their movement has captured the public imagination far more effectively. Oh, have they? Really? Hmm. They often know more about the issue than their parents do. That's what you said about guns. It's just, I mean, some of this shit. You know, it's, it's just go to the pictures. You know, it's time for change when climate, when children act like leaders and leaders act like children. Uh, wake up, wake up. It's on fire. Fuck Trump. Okay, that's got to be in there. You know what? Uh, love the earth. Now, there is no planet B. We have to save the world, Mother Earth. I mean, these are little kids. A picture of Greta Thunberg as Jesus Christ. Yeah, we, we went through that last time. Eco, not ego. Some of y'all didn't watch Captain Planet, and it shows. Big tech versus big oil. Eat the rich. We burn the earth. You burn in hell. Um, I am no longer accepting things. I am changing things. Uh, Jesus, we must change the course. The climate, people holding globes. Step one, put billionaires on rocket ships. Step two, send rocket ships to the sun. De- decolonize climate activism. That was a big one. 
A beautiful young girl, brainwashed by her parents. Things won't let... Things won't let die kid the earth. What? Things we won't let die. Kids in the earth? I don't know. The best time was to act 50 years ago. The second best time is now. Sorry, Mom. I can't make you a grandma on a planet that doesn't exist. Little kids, love your mother. Little, little kids, you'll die of old age of... I'll die of climate change. Uh, sent by somebody, deaths from climate and non-climate catastrophes, 1920 to 2017. In 1920, there were 495,000. In 2017, there's less than 30,000 that you could twist into a pretzel to make it work. Yeah. They even, climate activists continue to protest after Amazon signs climate pledge. I played the soundbite. I got a lot of soundbites today, but he already said he's going to be carbon neutral. But no, we're 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 just no. Fuck Amazon. Amazon's bad. Big business bad. You know all this shit goes back to the what the nineties or whatever with you know Occupy Wall Street. These kids, man, they just cling to everything and intersectional the fuck out of it. But. To some counter on this shit, and then we're going to play a Meltdown edition, and, and literally, it, it, I, I'm playing it even though it's long, because it really sums up the concept, these kids have captured the public's imagination, oh really? They can't form two sentences with a fucking thesaurus and a dictionary. Top five worst, worst global warming propaganda efforts on TV, we got Madam Secretary, um, lectures Christians, hard to claim you love... The creator, if you're ignoring global warming. Yeah, that that was a fucking thing. Uh, Make Earth Great Again, CW sci-fi series, features Trump-like CO2 scam. Climate change cultists on NBC medical drama. Stop cooking the earth by burning fossil fuels. Hulu rom-com remake shrieks. We're all going to die on climate change, as we covered a couple podcasts ago. Al Gore, of course, he was all happy. Policymakers must respond to the call to action from the students leading today. It's climate strike. The power to create change lies within each of us. We can and must join together to win this. What they don't want to actually admit is he's the reason why people are skeptical because we were already supposed to be dead. That was like 19 years ago. Ten topics that America Googled more than climate change. Trump, football, Area 51, which something went down, but I can't get anything on it, so that'll be next podcast. Friends, the moon, rugby, Christians, Fortnite, and Justin Trudeau, which we'll go into that in our Dem section. Oh, what a fall for grace. But Zach and Tennessee was over for the Wisconsin game where they just curb stomp Michigan. I'm not a Wisconsin fan, of course, I'm a Duck fan, but anybody who could beat Michigan is my team because I fucking hate them. He spurred me on, and I went and looked up an article. Climate experts are 0-41 with their doomsday predictions. For more than 50 years, climate alarmists, the scientific community, environmental movement, have not gotten even one prediction correct. But they do have a perfect record of getting 41 predictions wrong. Not even once have they been right. 
Think about that. So-called experts are 0-41 with the predictions, but those of us who are skeptical of expert prediction number 42, the one that say, if we don't immediately convert to socialism and allow AOC to control and organize our lives, the planet will become uninhabitable. Why any sane person is listed to someone with an 0-41 record? I don't know why. But here's the list of predictions by climate alarmists. I got none, zip, zero, nada, fucking right. Number one, 60, in 1967, dire famine forecast by 75. 69, everyone will disappear in a cloud of blue steam by 1989. Ice age by 2000, that was in 1970. I remember that one. 1970, America subject to water rationing by 1974. Food rationing by 1980. Uh, we're all pretty fat, so I don't think that's happening. 571, new ice age coming by 2020 or 2030. 72, new ice age by 2070. 74, there's two of them here. Three, sorry. Space satellites show new ice age coming fast. Another ice age. Ozone depletion, a great peril to life. 76, scientists, scientific consensus, planet cooling, famine and imminent. 80, acid rain kills life in the lakes. I totally forgot about that one. 78, no end in sight to 30-year cooling trend. 88, regional droughts. 88, again, temperatures in D.C. will hit record highs. 88, Maldiv items will be underwater by 2018. They're not. 89, rising sea levels will obliterate nations and nothing done by 2000. We played that last podcast. 89, New York City West Side Highway underwater by 2019. It's not. 2000, children won't know what snow is. 2002, famine in 10 years if we don't give up eating fish, meat, and dairy. 2004, Britain will be Siberia by 2024. 2008, Arctic will be ice-free by 2018. 2008, climate genius Al Gore predicts ice-free Arctic by 2013. He adjusted it because it didn't happen in 2008 like they said. 2009, we got three of a climate genius Prince Charles says we have 96 months to save the world. UK Prime Minister says 50 days to save the planet. Climate genius Al Gore moves 2013 prediction to 2014. 2013, ice-free by 2015. 2014, only 500 days before climate chaos. Um, 2868, overpopulation will spread worldwide. 70, world will use up all its natural resources. 66, Oil gone in 10 years, 72 oil depleted in 20 years, 77 Department of Energy says oil will peak in the 90s, 80 peak oil in 2000, 96 peak oil in 2020, 2002 peak oil in 2010, 2006 super hurricanes, 2005 Manhattan underwater by 2015, 1970 urban citizens will require gas masks by 85, 70 nitrogen buildup will make all land unusable, 1970 decay population pollution will kill all the fish 70s killer bees i forgot all about that one yeah i do and they don't have on this list but i i was out here during all this fucking craziness canada have lost three billion birds since 1970 scientist says nature is unraveling it's an empty feeling in your stomach that these same birds that you grew up with just aren't there anymore then during the week, huge articles on this. Why the U.S. bears the most responsibility for climate change in one chart that they just made up. It's a cult. 
There's pictures. Students get oil placed on hands as sign of commitment to environment. And Latin America, oil, sacred oil. Ilian Omar, summoning circle. Hope this works. Climate change is not a hoax. Climate change. Somebody said someone summoned something. Then you rolled out the intersectionality queen, Margaret Atwood. We got two of her today. This one, there'll be traffic accidents because of climate change. Yeah, so, I guess we're going to see that in film also, I hope. This, let us hope. Yes. yes. Uh, let, let us go, hope. I just wanted to ask you about climate change because I'm obsessed with climate yes. change. Uh, you addressed that in your writing and your life to, uh, also uh, really fast, like 15, 20 seconds. Tell me what bothers you the most. Okay. The thing to keep your eye on is the warmth of the ocean. Yes. Because right. if the ocean warms too much, the marine algae that make uh, 60 to 80 percent of the oxygen we breathe will die and we will choke to death. We'll have a lot of traffic accidents first because our brains will be oxygen starved. But that's the thing that will really do us in. And it leads to monster the ocean. I hope that that too. But 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 if you have no oxygen, you're not going to be worrying about the monster hurricanes. Yeah, so really the ocean people. Thank you for being here, Margaret. Our thoughts. What the fuck? I mean, it was Hollywood. Demands kids join strike. I'm not going to read their tweets, but there's a lot of them. They're just a bunch of zealots. And it was all bankrolled by liberal billionaires helped bankroll youth strike. Nobody talked about it. Although children may face the most face of the global, although children may be the face of global climate strike, it's several left wing billionaires who are promoting it. The ongoing youth-led global strikes, which took place again again on 20th of September, partnered with several organizations con- connected to liberal billionaires George Soros and Tom Steyer. Soros gave $100,000 to it. Steyer's gave 850000 And Michael Bloomberg is committed at least $6 million towards the Sierra Club's effort to shut down all U.S. coal plants. There's a list of a whole bunch of other people. They're all big lib donors. They're just all in. But I love Majid Nawaz. I don't know who this guy is. It was on an article, but I think this is important before we play the final meltdown, go to a Johnny Cash song. Flag. I heard it on a show. You know, I'm taping all this crazy stuff, so I got Johnny Cash and friends on Me TV, memorable entertainment TV. I'm watching. Re- I'm watching Perry Mason. Perry Mason fucking curb stomps fucking Law and Order. Man, his shit is so good. You never guess who fucking killed the person, but Perry knows. Anyway, he went on about pol- pol- politicking 16 year olds, and I think this is a great screed. Personally, having become overly politicized myself at 16 and bearing the heavy cost of it, I discourage my child from such a stressful and unhealthy spotlight at such a young age, while not discouraging their political awakening in general. Tough, yes, but our own consistency isn't, and her age matters. It just does. It means maturity and experience and life, dogma, pragmatism, and realism. These things used to matter until we all became angry and joined the race to the bottom in recent years. We all started to behave a bit like kids. To friends responding by saying, but most 
most online criticism against her is personal. Yes, and he's talking about Thunberg. And that's wrong. But most online criticism against anyone and everyone is personal. We all know this happens, which is why I would discourage my 16-year-old daughter from such an adult spotlight. Ultimately, such a burden and spotlight is not mentally nor emotionally healthy. It is hard enough for a seasoned activist, let alone a child. And unlike Malala, this wasn't thrust on her parents against her will. Anyway, that's why I have two pennies worth. Best of luck to her, and I would say best of luck to all their kids. All these kids out there. I supported my kids. I stayed on the show. Those are new. I exposed them to Christianity because I'm a Christian. But I didn't care what they worshipped. Sure, we had rules, no drugs, alcohol, until they got older, and then they could smoke weed in the woods because I wasn't going to be able to stop them anyway. But I said, if you get busted, you're busted. That ain't my weed. I'll be like somebody on live PD. Ain't my weed. But the fact of the matter is, they were exposed to all this stuff. They could be political. They saw my politics. And then older in life, me and my daughter has been let, you know, outlined on this podcast at nauseum. We argue a lot because we're totally opposite people. But at the end of the day, Pushing your kids to believe what you believe and throwing them out in protests. And we talk about on the show, from the Women's March to Antifa, it doesn't fucking matter. You see little kids out there. And in these pictures, which once again, wish it was a YouTube show, some of these pictures, you just search Twitter, man. These are little kids. They don't even have the concept. But in our society, progressives, my God. Climate activism, transgender activism, letting them be transgender. I mean, for fuck's sake, man. It's not goddamn healthy. So, we're going to play a long eight minute. I think I got this from the Daily Caller. It is the Meltdown Edition. This is no different than the uh, kids from Parkland. I just don't think of your pattering your whole cause behind a bunch of kids. They're not very articulate, they're screaming and yelling. And it's unhealthy, some of the things they're saying. Music break. On the other side, going to go into Trudeau. Yeah. The fallen dear one. The second coming. Oh, yeah. He's not doing too good. This is a fight for our lives, for our security, for all future generations to come. They want us to just sit quiet. to save it. Greta inspired me 
to lead walkouts at my elementary school all last spring. Because storms, floods, fires, and droughts fueled by climate change are killing people all over the globe. Our oceans are choking with trash, and the sixth mass extinction is well underway. And the government does nothing. Our schools don't teach us, and our parents are silent. But scientists say we only have 11 years left to avoid a climate catastrophe. We need to have zero carbon emissions by 2030, when I'm 21. So I'm asking you to do three things. First, start Friday for the Future at your school. It's more than a walkout, though. It's a teach-in. Because what you say to your friends might be the only thing that they know about climate change. Second, climate activists need to support other social movements, too. Because any fight for justice is your fight, too. So when kids rally for gun safety or for LGBTQ plus rights, or when teachers ask for livable wages, get your butt out there and support them. And they will support you too. It's called solidarity. Third, the November 2020 election is coming and we need to clean out the trash. Find a candidate who is good on climate change, doesn't take oil money, and canvas through them door to door. And make sure your older siblings vote. Whose side are they on anyways? If you fight for the children by teaching them about climate change and about solidarity, if you fight for the children by demanding that politicians get us to zero carbon emissions by 2030, if you fight for the children by getting involved in our fight to have a future, we will save the world. Are you in? Now to my sister, Eleanor. Hello, hello. So we wanted to both make an announcement on behalf of Zero Hour, International Indigenous Youth Council, Sunrise, U.S. Youth Climate Strike, and the National Children's Campaign, on behalf of those organizations. We hear that politicians, that baby boomers, all these people call us Generation Z, the last letter of the alphabet, because we are going to be the last generation to survive. But no, we refuse to take that. We refuse to be the last generation. We are not Generation Z. We are Generation GND. Generation Green New Deal. We refuse to be the last livable planet. We just... Oh, shoot. Give me a sec. Fuck. We refuse to be the last generation to thrive we are gonna give it to the generations to come oh gosh i'm done passing it on thank you guys i'm done i'm done i'm done we are generation gnd those organizations we are generation gnd we are announcing the era of the green new deal on behalf of zero hour international indigenous youth council sunrise U.S. Youth Climate Strike, and the National Children's Campaign. We want to focus on elements of the Green New Deal framework, including respect of indigenous land, a just transition to 100% renewable energy, environmental justice, protection of biodiversity, and sustainable agriculture. So thank you all for listening to us. Now next up, we have Ari Rubenstein, Rubenstein, who um, is... 
coordinating all of the parachutes that we have today. And if you all look back there, all look back there, right over there, you see that giant parachute, that 100 foot parachute? No future in action. No future, no action. No action, no future. No action, no future. We're going to have Ari speak about the parachutes. Hi, everyone. My name is Ari. Hello, everybody. My name is Nofal Alvi, and I'm an exchange student from Pakistan. I arrived here no longer than three weeks ago, and I decided to come down here and say a few words to let you know about the extent of your influence across the world. I come from the country that is one of those countries that has been impacted the most by climate change. In 2015, our largest city, Karachi, was struck by a heat wave with temperatures reaching as high as 120 degrees and took the lives of 2,000 people. And yet, we didn't have a single clue of what was happening. Or perhaps we did. Our youth did. I was an environmental management student before I came here. And I had millions of other students who were studying the same subject across the country. We knew what was happening. We understood the science. Not that you need to study the subject in order to understand the science, but the point is that we were studying the climate crisis and yet we never bothered to act. And yes, I use the word we because it includes me as well. And I'm not going to lie and hide the fact that I didn't do anything as well. However, after coming here and witnessing the initiative that you all have taken to solve the climate crisis, my eyes have finally opened. I walked through a county courthouse square on a park bench, an old man was sitting there. I said, your old courthouse is kind of run down. He said, no, it'll do for our little town. I said, your old flagpole is leaned a little bit, and that's a ragged old flag you got hanging on it. He said, have a seat. And I sat down. Is this the first time you've been to our little town? I said, I think it is. He said, I don't like to brag. But we're kind of proud of that ragged old flag. You see, we got a little hole in that flag there when Washington took it across the Delaware. And it got powder burned the night that Francis Scott Key sat watching it right and say, Can you see? And it got a bad rip in New Orleans. Packingham and Jackson tugging at its seams And it almost fell at the Alamo Beside the Texas flag, but she waved on though She got cut with a sword at Chancellorsville And she got cut again at Shiloh Hill There was Robert E. Lee, Beauregard and Bragg And the south wind blew hard on that ragged old flag on Flanders Field in World War I, 
She got a big hole from a birth of gun. She turned blood red in World War II. She hung limp and low a time or two. She was in Korea, Vietnam. She went where she was sent by her Uncle Sam. She waved from our ships upon the briny foam, and now they've about quit waving back here at home. In her own good land here, she's been abused. She's been burned, dishonored, denied, and refused. And the government for which she stands is scandalized throughout the land. And she's getting threadbare and she's wearing thin, but she's in good shape for the shape she's in. Cause she's been through the fire before. And I believe she can take a whole lot more. So we raise her up every morning, we take her down every night, we don't let her touch the ground and we fold her upright. On second thought, I do like to brag, cause I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag. Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. Heads are turning tonight in Washington, the White House of Buzz, amid a star-studded state dinner to welcome the young new Prime Minister of Canada, a leader who carries one of the most famous political names in the history of our northern neighbor. Trudeau, just 44, with a young family, stunning the world with his victory last November, following the path of his father, Pierre Trudeau. Justin Trudeau, a former boxer, drama teacher, now a political heartthrob, featured in January's American Vogue. Do you think he's dreamy, too? Is that a word you'd use? (laughs) I might. I might use dreamy. Emily Heil covers the D.C. social scene for the Washington Post. (laughs) The same sort of celebrity culture that surrounded Obama, you're seeing that. And um, now there's another good story. There's a special guest in Washington this morning. Canada's young and handsome new prime minister, Justin Trudeau, has arrived with his wife, Sophie, and their three kids for tonight's state dinner at the White House. State dinner, not steak dinner, I said. <laughs> and it's the first state dinner for a Canadian leader in 19 years. And it didn't take long for Trudeau's two-year-old son, Hadrian, to steal the show. There he is. He gave out high fives to people at the airport, and people on both sides of the aisle are gushing over the Prime Minister's charisma. And just the other day, the Prime Minister was cuddling with pandas at the Toronto oh, Zoo. And now all the pandemonium has spread to Washington. One headline today said, Justin Fever hits Washington. Yeah, right. and the GMA said he's adorable. Yeah, absolutely. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is a proud progressive. He's emphasized inclusiveness and tolerance as Prime Minister of Canada. But now he's just the latest politician caught up in an episode from years ago where he darkened his skin for fun. Blackface. Um, He won four years ago, his Liberal Party, uh, for the first time in in ten years. The Conservatives are very strong up there, and they are, of course, pouncing on this as an example of him being inauthentic, of him uh, they're calling this reprehensible. 
Conservative Party leader Andrew Scheer, Trudeau's political opponent in next month's election, pounced, saying the photo shows a complete lack of judgment and integrity and someone who is not fit to govern. The re-election campaign of Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is suddenly in turmoil after a photo surfaced of him wearing brown face. And while he has apologized overnight, his rivals have been quick to pounce. Joining me is NBC's Ron Allen with more on the story. Ron, it's hard to understand how this happens, especially because it goes so much against his whole, his whole life's values and what we know of Justin Trudeau as an inclusive politician. Exactly. Very much against the brand, the image, uh, what we think of him. And it may even get worse, Andrea, because there are some reports in Canada that there might be, in fact, a third incident, a piece of videotape that hasn't been verified by us as of yet. Uh, but there may be another incident of him dressing up in blackface or brownface. Uh, unclear what that circumstance was. Apparently, like the other two instances uh, in his past, one 18 years ago, the other when he was in, in, in high school. Um, the, the election there, as you know, is neck and neck. Um, he won four years ago, his Liberal Party, uh, for the first time in, in 10 years. The Conservatives are very strong up there, and they are, of course, pouncing on this as an example of him being inauthentic. Of him be, they're calling this reprehensible. Uh, they're saying he's not fit for office. Um, and they're zeroing in as well on this notion that he, he's not telling the whole truth about these incidents, because as I said before, that there might be more. Um, at this point, the, the polls uh, are neck and neck. The election is October 21st, so about a month left of this. Uh, uh, and we hope to hear more from him today at some point. We, he's been very contrite. He has been very straightforward. He has sounded apologetic. Uh, but it's unclear how that will play with the Canadian voters. Uh, uh, issues of race, diversity, multiculturalism are a little bit different up there than they are here. Uh, but the bottom line is this is a big challenge for him. And as you said, one that's unexpected given the brand, given who he says he is. Andrew? Fascinating political controversy to our north. Ron Allen. Now, in there's a flashback of how much they love this guy. And you hear the media, Republicans pounce. They have got, you know, remember, we just went through this with Virginia. Nothing happened. They're all still in office, which would never happen for a Republican. You know it just wouldn't. But this is one of many. Just It isn't just the Daily Beast. This is a tweet. Third instance of Justin Trudeau in face-darkening makeup surfaces. Face-darkening makeup. They can't even say blackface because they love this guy. From Slate, Justin Trudeau apologizes for dressing up as Aladdin at a school party. Will that be enough for Canadians to look past it? Because he's so good. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to hit Trudeau. I can't let that go. That, that guy, remember, he is what we need as a leader. We don't need Trump. We need people that dress up in blackface. Or, excuse me, face-darkening makeup. To Kavanaugh, Peggy Newton, why will... Will they ever stop targeting Kavanaugh? Quick article, and then a soundbite. And it'll be butted up with Kamala laughing. And we'll say why she's laughing on the other side. But her, her, this is just perfect. And this, remember, Peggy Noonan is a, a card-carrying liberal. So I mean, she's not a conservative. 
Because the crazier parts of the progressive left increasingly see politics as public theater with heroes and villains, cheers and hisses from the audience, and costumes such as outfits from The Handmaid's Tale, because modern politics is for lonely and strange on all sides entertainment and diversion, and one's, one's people must be entertained, because many progressives believe deep in their heart that conservative men are both sexually obsessed and repressed, that conservatism is a way of looking at the world in which women are lesser, mere prey. They think this is behind everything, including conservative reservations about or opposition to abortion. In this view, conservative jurors who say like things like 60% of my clerks were women, I coach the girls' soccer and debate teams, are engaged in an elaborate cover. They hate the modern world. Behind closed doors, they're always swinging cavemen clubs because where there's smoke, there must be fire. There was Miss Ford, then the Yale rumors. There is no way this isn't so- something to it, so it will never end. I add to her, it's because they're fucking kids. The left believes they're the smartest people in the room, and only their way is the way, and only their judges interpret the law, even though everybody brought to the Supreme Court is well more activist than any conservative that comes up, because a conservative president has to put a moderate in, Justice Roberts. Think about it, folks. He's done more left than right, so... Here is them, the authors, getting dick-slapped by a reporter, which really surprised me. And we'll start with a Camelia Harris on the backside laughing because somebody said Democrats are kind of extreme. Vice President Mike Pence is standing by the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh following new allegations of misconduct. In an interview with Fox News, Pence said that the New York Times should, quote, be ashamed for publishing a story smearing Brett Kavanaugh. At least six Democrats called for the Supreme Court Justice's impeachment following the story, which was adapted from the book The Education of Brett Kavanaugh, an Investigation. Here to discuss the controversy surrounding the Supreme Court Justice and their book and what they found are co-authors and New York Times reporters Robin Pogrebin and Kate Kelly. Ladies, thank you. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. Um, Kate, let me start with you. I think one of the tricky things in this story and all of the Me Too stories is how do you report this in a way that is sort of fundamentally fair when it's very hard to get corroboration when you're talking about maybe one or two people in the room? So how did you think about that as you approached this? You're, you're pointing out a great um, challenge in this kind of reporting, and I agree with you. It's there. Um, we came at this from a very objective perspective, and we thought, let's start from scratch. Let's actually take both uh, Justice Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford at face value. Let's believe both of them and see if we can uh, sort of corroborate her story on the one hand and on his hand, hard to prove a negative, but just talk to folks who knew him at the time who were obviously alleged to be there at the incident and see if we can shed further light that either kind of proves that this happened or disproves it. What we found is it's very complicated. Um, yeah. First of all, on the subject of memory and trauma, um, sex crimes prosecutors, memory experts that we talked to told us your memory tends to be very spotty if you've been through a traumatic situation like that um, that was alleged. So you've got um, memories that pertain to this sort of the incident itself um, and maybe how you got out um, and then other random things, but not necessarily like all the details of how things came together or the transportation. And, and that was the case here. What we found was there were substantiating details around Ford. Um, she dated one of Kavanaugh's good friends, a guy named Chris Garrett. Her friend, Leland Kaiser, who was alleged to be at the party, dated his friend, Mark Judge, who was alleged to be in the room. 
Um, she has a history of credibility. We have not found anybody, including an ex-boyfriend, whose affidavit was used as sort of um, a way to undermine her by Republicans during the confirmation process. There were facts that out there about their history together that seemed to question her fear of flying, for example, that he gave. But he, at the bottom line, told me and told the Senate that she had no history of lying and she could not lie. But one of the things you didn't mention there is that Leland Kaiser, in your book, who was supposedly the one who drove her home, says that she doesn't think that it happened and that there was a smear and pressure campaign against her and by her own friends in order to corroborate Christine Blasey Ford's allegation. That's right, and I'm so so glad you brought that up because I think that's one of the big revelations of our book. So Leland Kaiser, who was the friend who was alleged to be at the party, and uh, the only other girl allegedly there, and by all accounts a very good friend of Ford's and a person who dated Mark Judge, um, told us that she doesn't have confidence in the story. Now, I'll break it down. She has consistently said she doesn't remember what happened. Her lawyer said that, she said that. On the margin of, you know, whether she finds it believable, last year she said, Ford is my friend, was my friend at the time, and I believe her. Subsequently, and we explain all this in our book with the first on-the-record interview with her that anybody's mm-hmm. had, um, she testified, or, or rather gave an interview to the FBI um, and said what she could remember, if anything, about those times and kind of the circumstances, but not remembering the event. Days later, she studied pictures of Brett Kavanaugh from when he was young. She looked at maps of the area. She rested up and she thought, you know, I'm bothered by this. I don't have confidence in this. I don't remember him from that time. Mm -hmm. I do remember Judge. I obviously remember Chrissy. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't remember gatherings like that. I don't think I would have been at the Columbia Country Club on a yeah. day like that. So there were a number of things that made her question it, Yeah. Um, although she still doesn't remember for sure. I mean, it seems pretty significant to me. It Robin, does. I mean, your book has caused a massive controversy within this country. It's caused uh, imp- Democrats to literally call for impeachment. There's, of course, the handling of the story by your own outlet over at the New York Times. You sent a tweet recently blaming Fox News for some of the uh, for distorting some of the errors in the reporting. Why are you blaming Fox News for this failure? I actually didn't blame Fox News. I just retweeted the Vox article, which I thought, you know, kind of finally added sort of a little bit of balance to this, which is that, you know, people have, we, we basically set out to do a book that revisits these events in kind of a calm way with the benefit of 10 months of investigation. We've written a book that's almost 300 pages. We spent 10 months doing it. It's, you know, these, these paragraphs that have been pulled out and seized upon are, t- are two paragraphs in that, in that book. So we haven't highlighted them. They're mm-hmm. not the focus of this. But your paper did. That our pa- no, on our paper, mm-hmm. we did this Deborah Ramirez excerpt in which that was also one paragraph. And unfortunately, that line was removed and mm-hmm. it was put back and corrected. Explain but my- for people who haven't followed yes. all, just explain that a little okay, bit more. So basically, we decided that we wanted to try to pick an excerpt from this book in order yeah. to, which we often do in the Times. And that we thought the Deborah Ramirez story was compelling because it was kind of neglected in the first time around. She never she, testified publicly. And she's the woman who alleged that while they were at Yale together, yes, there exactly. was... He exposed himself to her at a party. Yes. And that it was kind of lost in the, like, kind of what seemed like a pile-on of allegations when actually we found that seven people had at least heard about it um, between, you know, at, before he became a federal judge, which we thought was meaningful, and also shedding light on, frankly, her experience mm. and why that confrontation was so formative. Mm. So we did that excerpt. In it, we mentioned this additional allegation, which hasn't been reported, um, that another classmate saw him do the same kind of thing at another dorm party freshman year. We thought it was germane because it kind of reinforced the Deborah Ramirez experience. 
experience, and yeah. so we included it. In that piece, we did have a line naming her and saying that she didn't rem- that she told friends she didn't remember it. An editor took it out because it named her, and that's because not normally the editorial her. policy of the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But I do want to just, talk about okay. that because that the, the person who allegedly saw this incident, Mr. Max Steyer, right. as I understand it, he was on the opposing team from Kavanaugh during the Clinton impeachment, and his wife was denied a federal judgeship by the GOP. Did you include that information in your book? I mean, that seems like pretty clear evidence of a vendetta against Brett Kavanaugh. You know, we, we yeah. didn't include it in the book. We do talk about what he's been doing for most of his career, you don't which think is that's non-partisan. Germane. Well, I, I mean, mean, for somebody you know, to accuse somebody of like this, and, which, it and a victim does not reckon, does not even remember this incident. You don't think that that is a germane detail? Do you think it's germane that Brett Kavanaugh wrote um, the Star Report? Um, yes, absolutely. After absolutely, and he was grilled for that when he was here in his convenience. Except that he, he maintained that campaign. he's a judge now, and he's yeah. made fair decisions, and it wasn't fair to think of him completely as a partisan person with a partisan agenda just because he worked for Star and just mm-hmm. because he worked for George Bush. I think that is germane. He was hit yeah. for it. But this okay. history goes yeah. back to the 1990s. Max Steyer is a central figure in Michael Lewis's book, The Fifth Risk, sure. which is also a great read. And it's all about Max Steyer's good governance effort, his nonpartisan effort. If you ask around Washington, as I'm sure you have, have. he's a very well-respected guy who deals with both sides of the aisle. He did not want this to become politicized. This is why he privately went to senators and the FBI and tried to have his story be heard. That's right. And And if he had an agenda, why didn't he do it during the hearings when he could have blown it up? Well, he did do it during the hearings. Let me ask, though. Privately, and it was ignored. He had no interest in going to the press. Because they didn't think that it was germane. But they didn't even investigate it. Yeah. Kate, let me ask you, though, what was, you know, obviously this has become a huge story, both in the way it was covered and was this omission appropriate and different people have spun it the way that they wanted to spin it. That's what, right. And that's a key point of our book is people see what they want to see. What they want to see. They're so, imposing their own worldview onto the facts. Just, just on a human level, as you watch Elizabeth Warren and other Democratic contenders come out and call for his impeachment based on your reporting. I mean, what what emotion, what did that spark for you? What did that feel like? I mean, uh, let me say on the one hand, whether it applies to the Democratic candidates or President Trump, who's been tweeting that, you know, people like us should be fired. Uh, we are uh, we he are Kavanaugh should sue you for libel. Mm-hmm. Right. We are grateful to know that people are noticing our work, um, obviously, uh, on the substance of the matter, on the calls for impeachment. I would say um, people should read the book and then decide mm-hmm. whether they still feel that way. Um, people are entitled to their points of view. We yeah. very studiously avoided opining on what should happen from here. If anything, I think one interesting take on this was written by Jen Rubin in The Washington Post, uh, which was the idea that there should be a House investigation, if nothing else, of the confirmation process and the FBI inquiry. Was it? Uh, wide enough in scope? Did we learn what we needed to learn? How can we ensure a, a fair process for people going forward? I don't think Justice Kavanaugh would say it was a fair process. Mm-hmm. And, I, 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 and I don't think that. the women would either. One yeah. thing I also want to get to is, I think he suggested in a recent interview that Brett Kavanaugh said he would talk to you, but only if he wrote that he didn't talk to you. Did he just say he would talk to you off the record, or did he actually say that? You know, we had back and forth negotiations with with him and a representative where we were kind of trying to come to terms with the, on this. Um, we obviously very much wanted to speak to him. It was important. We wanted to reflect his views. And we also, frankly, are trying to kind of portray him as a character who's like 360 degrees of a sure. human being. Three-dimensional. Yeah. Three-dimensional. <laughs> right. Um, and so we were just about to do that and kind of come to D.C. to see him. And we even were willing to say nothing about what the terms were, just... Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, leave that out. Um, and unfortunately, they wanted a line in that actually said he declined to comment, and we felt that would have misled the readers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's So fast. they asked us to affirmatively say that Justice Kavanaugh declined to be interviewed for the book even if we had an off-the-record discussion yeah, with him. So uh, let me ask you this, Robin, we'll, mm -hmm. we'll leave it here. I mean, given your experience, months and months reporting this story and what you found, and I'm sure you thought deeply about the implications of it, where do you sort of come down on how old allegations, even if they're proven true from, from high school, from college, how they should be viewed in a person's career at this point in their life if they have changed the way that you've portrayed Kavanaugh to it. Yeah, we've really wrestled with that because, yeah. you know, we can, I can really see both sides. That if, Even if he did these things at 17 and 18, as bad as they were, you know, perhaps he's, you know, in the last 36 years really seems to have been a better person. And in terms of his behavior and his conduct, he's widely admired. Um, should this kind of ruin his life forever? I mean, I think that that's a real question. On the other hand, I, I think it's important that these allegations are taken seriously. Yeah. And I also think, you know, basically um, there are some people who argue that, you know, these, this kind of behavior is a gateway to other aggressive behavior and that kind of a person doesn't deserve to be on the court. We decided that's not our determination to make. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Very thank you so much for joining us. Thanks really for having us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next on Rising, more than 44 million Americans have student debt. And it's a problem that is only growing. Our conversation on the student loan crisis and what solutions are on the table when Rising continues. When we think about the issues... Let's also prioritize knowing that, you know, I've been doing town halls around the country. I've been doing rallies around the country. It is rarely a question that anyone will bring up. So let's debate ideology on the spectrum between socialism and capitalism. <laughs> rarely comes up. That would be played at nauseam. That would be 47% if she wasn't a black female with a D behind her name. That would just be played at nauseam. And this, this is just astounding. The lengths that the media will go for Democratic presidents. I'm not going to read the article. I'm just going to read the headline. Washington Post compares Frederick Douglass photos with Elizabeth Warren selfies. And for those who don't know, he was a major player, a free black man, who pushed for anti-slavery. Are you serious? In there, Warren's obfuscation is becoming comical now. Are you going to raise middle class taxes? Are you going to raise middle class taxes? Here's the thing. Are you going to raise middle class taxes? They Nobody makes her ask anything. And remember, this is a person who faked her ethnicity... So the Douglas thing is just absurd. Ah, then we got Biden. Somebody other, a New York Times author asked, and then you'll hear Steve Ducey's son ask about his son. And whoa, Biden, a little froggy. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And so how do you know? Let's talk about, here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader? trying to intimidate a foreign leader if that's what happened that appears what happened you should be looking at trump trump's doing this because he knows i'll beat him like a drum 
and he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Everybody looked at this and everybody's looked at it and said there's nothing there. Ask the right questions. Okay, but if you've never spoken to your son, he be impeached for this? Depending on what the what the House finds, it, it, he could be impeached. But I'm not making that judgment now. The House should investigate it. The House should investigate this. This appears to be an overwhelming abuse of power to get on the phone with a foreign leader who is looking for help from the United States and ask about me and imply things. If that's what happened. That appears to be what happened. We know that's what Giuliani did. This is outrageous. You have never seen anything like this from any president. You said before you entered the race that one of your concerns was about your family being brought into this race. Are you comfortable running a campaign in which... I know, I, I know what I'm up against. I know what I'm up against. And a serial abuser. That's what this guy is. He abuses power everywhere he can. He, and he sees any, if he sees any threat to his staying in power, he'll do whatever he has to do. But this crosses the line. This crosses the line. Mr. Vice President, how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. And so how do you know? Let's, let's talk about, here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader, trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened. That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Everybody looked at this and everybody's looked at it and said there's nothing there. Ask the right questions. Okay, but if you've never spoken to your son, he be impeached for this? Depending on what the what the House finds, it, it, he could be impeached. But I'm not making that judgment now. The House should investigate it. The House should investigate this. This appears to be an overwhelming abuse of power to get on the phone with a foreign leader who is looking for help from the United States and ask about me and imply things. If that's what happened. That appears to be what happened. We know that's what Giuliani did. This is outrageous. Come on, you guys, move over. Move over, you guys. Come on. What is it you were saying? Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. Not one single credible outlet has given us any credibility to his assertion. Not one single one. And so I have no comment except the president should start to. Is that an abuse of power, sir? That warrants the president's attention. But the worst off all this is that Biden, well, here's a headline. ABC, NBC edited out Biden telling press how to cover Trump and the whistleblower story. 
Despite that there are still few facts known as a whole lot of speculation about the allegations made by Anonymous, the so-called Trump whistleblower, ABC and NBC were more than willing to throw their weight behind the effort. Their Sunday coverage seemed to come at the behest of former Vice President Joe Biden, who on Saturday yelled at Fox News reporter Peter Ducey and demanded the press ask the right questions about President Trump. Biden demand came during a media scrum at the Iowa Steak Fry, which, by the way, is against global warming. I mean, they're eating steak, for Christ's sake. After Deucey asked the former VP about allegation Trump had made about his son, Hunter Biden, and his business dealing with Ukraine, the soundbite was shared by Biden's deputy campaign manager, Kate Bendling, on Twitter. Here's what I know. Trump deserves to be investigated. He violates basic norms of president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with foreign leader trying to intimidate foreign leader? Blah, 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 blah. We, we heard it in the soundbite. But uh, here's ABC and NBC's version. The Wall Street Journal reports President Trump repeatedly pressed the Ukrainian president to investigate Biden's son. who served on the board of a Ukrainian energy company when his father was vice president. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Biden pointing to a July call between President Trump and the leader of Ukraine, reportedly at the center of a whistleblower complaint from an intelligence official. The inspector general found that complaint credible and one that might require the notification of Congress. But the Justice Department and acting director of national intelligence blocked it from being shared. I've never spoken to my son about his overseas And so how do you know? Let's talk about, here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. The former VP demanding. The president released the transcript of the call in question. Some of his 2020 rivals echoing his concerns, accusing President Trump of potentially abusing his power. The president posted claims, including an edited video alleging Biden used influence in Ukraine to help his son Hunter's business interests there. But no evidence of wrongdoing was found. The tactic hit a nerve for Biden. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power and every element of the, the presidency to try to do something to smear me. The president also tried to deflect attention by branding the secret whistleblower complaint Ukraine witch hunt. The allegation centers on a July call between President Trump and Ukraine President Zelensky. In Iowa, a frustrated Biden called the president's actions outrageous. Why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader if that's what happened? Now, first of all, beating like a drum, isn't that violent rhetoric? I mean, aren't we told you can't talk like that? But they edited it out. And then the media went all up cray-cray over the whistleblower. Word of a whistleblower inside the Trump administration that's triggered a showdown with the nation's intelligence agencies. The issue? A phone call between the president and a foreign leader and what President Trump may have promised. This morning, we're learning a phone call between President Trump and another world leader prompted a whistleblower complaint at the center of a growing scandal in Washington. The Washington Post first reporting that an intelligence official was so bothered by a promise President Trump made to a foreign leader that he filed a formal complaint with the inspector general. Over the last several days, that secret complaint has been the subject of an intense standoff. Out of that breaking new report about a whistleblower who reported a troubling promise 
President Trump may have made to a foreign leader. A potential constitutional showdown is escalating with the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee demanding to know more about a Trump administration whistleblower and reporting from the Washington Post that the paper claims points to the president. House Intelligence Chairman Adam Schiff outraged, demanding answers and suggesting a cover-up. It is the president of the United States who is at the center of this uh, significant showdown. I can tell you this is escalating, George, with Schiff also promising a subpoena if he can't get answers. A promise that was so troubling, it prompted a U.S. intelligence official to come forward. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff has issued a subpoena to obtain the whistleblower's complaint. Schiff pointed out that this is the first time a director of national intelligence has overruled a determination from the inspector general, and he raised concerns that this refusal may indicate a cover-up to protect President Trump. Plus, we'll fact check the conspiracy theory involving Joe Biden, his son, and Ukraine. So here's the conspiracy theory the Trump campaign has been urging Ukraine to investigate. Essentially, they claim Joe Biden used his power as vice president to protect his son, Hunter Biden, who worked with the Ukrainian gas company. The catch? Well, the theory has been thoroughly debunked. Joe Biden managed to get a top prosecutor in Ukraine fired because they felt like he wasn't doing his job. He wasn't cracking down on corruption. And he, with, he threatened to withhold U.S. aid in order to do that. At the same time this was happening, his son, Hunter Biden, was on the board of an energy company, Burisma, that had previously been investigated by that prosecutor. But sources say that that investigation was already closed. These things were not happening simultaneously. And Biden has denied over and over again that he was doing this in any way to try to benefit his son or to use his, his influence uh, uh, as vice president to benefit his son. So there's no proof whatsoever that Joe Biden did anything wrong or that Hunter Biden did anything wrong. Does it look great? It doesn't look great. But but there's no evidence there. These things just kind of were both occurring. And it's worth noting that even though Rudy Giuliani tried to go to Ukraine and reanimate this and get prosecutors to look into it again, Prosecutors weren't really buying it there. You know, Ukraine's prosecutor general, uh, he left in August. But back in May, he said, I do not want Ukraine to again be the subject of the U.S. presidential elections. Hunter Biden did not violate any Ukrainian laws, at least as of now. We do not see any wrongdoing. Hi, this is Megan. President Trump is... Uh going a little crazy on Twitter about this. Another fake news story. It never ends. Virtually any time I speak on the phone to a foreign leader, I understand that there may be many people listening from various U.S. agencies, not to mention those from the other country itself. Um, I, I know that we have heard presidents promising things to foreign leaders before, like when President Obama was caught on a hot mic telling then the Russian president, Medved, that he would, quote, have more flexibility after the election. So can you tell our viewers why there's a difference between that and this? Mm-hmm. Just last week, um, CNN, CNN excuse me, was slammed for erroneously reporting a thinly sourced story that the CIA had to remove a spy from Russia because of Trump sharing intelligence that could possibly have endangered him. I think the question we all had this morning, is there a rush to report on Trump because people want to pin things on him and just because he does so many things that, as you said, are deeply unconventional for a U.S. president? I have a two-page tweet screen from Jack Goldsmith, an actual lawyer, refuting all of this. Just refuting all of this. Remember, Obama's on a fucking hot mic saying, well, after the election, I'll have my levity. Presidents could say whatever the fuck they want to other leaders, and this is a NSA person, from what I know the story, and I could be wrong, 
because I'm not giving any credence. This is number 7,545 billion on how Trump, we got Trump, we got Trump, all the media goes together and there's nothing burger there. They don't even, they didn't even hear the phone call. It's all hearsay. But presidents say whatever the fuck they want to foreign leaders. That's the presidency. In that tweet screen, that's what he's saying. There is so much room for a president to do all sorts of shit. This is a nothing burger. But because of Joe Biden, oh yeah, we ran with it. To other stuff that came out of the media, winning Vanity Fair reveals silly nostalgia for Democrat fantasy of the West Wing. Sorkin concocted an intellectual fantasy of the perfect liberal president, a former professor, father and grandfather, devoted to his wife, Nobel laureate, sports officiato, quotes Shakespeare in the Bible with equal ease, almost never loses his temper, and pretty much always right about everything. The show became a concurrent liberal fantasy of competence, intellectualism, and social justice and power. If there ever were a show that were trying to be the prestige drama option version of Democratic Party, it's the West Wing. The biggest problem with the legacy of the West Wing is not about the show, it's that 20 years later, Democrats haven't found a better way to win elections. And that's from the media. Yeah. It was at the same time, Taylor Swift remembers, amazing time when U.S. was respected under dignified Obama. And I'm playing that because now we're going into our hate. A lot of that lately. I don't think it's as the right thinks it is. It's all this waxing for that. I think it's because they're looking at their current candidates and they're a hot fucking garbage file of fire of fuck. Just a hot garbage fire of fuck. Extreme. And regardless of the polls, deep in their heart, they know Warren fucking Camellia Harris they can't win the election they're too fucking extreme so we start our hate with some good media here CNN cons don't like brown people we got one of those per podcast MSDNC conservative pundit wink wink Giuliani should be taken to hospice yeah that was said on air Sam B. still attacking the Koch brothers, even though they're dead. One of them's dead. Cuomo bashing Christians and mocking cons for pointing out one of the thousands of dead Americans at the hands of illegals. They carry Kate Stingle around. And then the L.A. mayor was on multiple channels, and he was allowed to say, the homeless problem in L.A., yeah, it's because of conservatives who haven't been in charge of anything out there in my lifetime. Um, as we're watching all of this, um, listen, much there's certainly a history here in the U.S. when some of these pictures have st- have surfaced, specifically if you're talking in the U.S. about blackface and the history of that in this country. Canadian media has referred to these pictures as uh, racist makeup or dark fast or dark face rather. Watch out! If we forget the labels, though, every time this comes up, it seems that there's a conversation that's missing. Yeah, so if you're uh, watching at home and you're thinking about putting on blackface or brownface for Halloween, don't do it. 
Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. And the reason for it is there's a history here. There's a history. I mean, the reason is people say, oh, you're being too politically correct or oh, you're too, being too sensitive. No, that's not the case. When it comes to blackface or brownface or yellowface, what it is is a history of dehumanization. It's mockery. It's belittling a person of color, exaggerated features, exaggerated um, uh, uh, language. And if you look at blackface in particular, just look at the movie Birth of a Nation, right? Which, by the way, was the favorite movie of Woodrow Wilson, a thoroughly racist movie that had both white and black actors in blackface. And what, what it's always been done uh, is to advance white supremacy, right, at the expense of people of color. If you look at Yellowface, look at Mickey Rooney in the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's, exaggerated features, buck teeth, squinted eyes, and the audience always laughs at them. It's an object of ridicule, of mockery. And whoever is in power, and in the case of Western society, it's often been white supremacy, it's the rest of us, the person of color who is the one that is marginalized. That is why so many people of color, we're stuck right now, right? Because we're like, okay, all these liberals are putting on blackface and brownface, and then you got all these conservatives who don't seem to like black or brown people, and we're stuck in the middle. What's going on? And, and again, I was just talking to a makeup stylist at CNN, uh, a person of color, she's like, never in my life did it occur to me to put on blackface or brownface. I'm like, you know what? Me too. Never in my life did it occur to put on blackface or brownface. And the fact that Justin Trudeau did this as an adult, I really hope he comes out, has humility, apologizes, has a person of color, perhaps a cabinet member, hopefully someone who's Sikh American or, or, or black, come up with him uh, and really address this uh, issue head on. This is an issue of white supremacy and racism. And as we've seen in America, Erica, it seems that we are very uncomfortable to talk about these issues. So, uh, you know, taking a moment also to speak to, uh, obviously, his, his constituents, constituents who are French-speaking. And as he's doing that, Wajahali, I just want to bring you in. And I'm just curious your reaction to what we're hearing from him in these first couple of moments as he's apologizing and, and trying to explain where he's at today. Yeah, I think the most important question is why didn't he see it as racist as a young man? And he briefly teased at an answer that he said he had the privilege and his privilege allowed him not to see it. And we know that privilege is often blind to its own power, its own abuses of power. But I really would have hoped he would have taken this moment to really talk about that issue. It's that the issue of privilege and white supremacy and systemic racism that really allowed a man who's educated, who's worldly, who's global, who's liberal, like Justin Trudeau, to wear brown face and black face at the age of 30, at the age of 21. And specifically when we're going to an election season in Canada, as we know, the opposition, right, Conservative Party leader uh, Andrew Scheer, just four days ago, had to come out and say any conservative member who in the past made a homophobic or racist tweet or comment, if they apologize now, then I accept their apology, right? So that's what we're stuck between. And I'm really curious if Andrew Scheer now accepts Trudeau's apology and applies the same standard. But you see the rise of white nationalism. You see the rise uh, of these mainstreaming of white nationalist rhetoric, both in Canada and the United States of America. And so I think real leadership here uh, is, A, he did the first part, that he seems very uh, to be very apologetic. Uh, there's mm -hmm. contrition here. But I really would have liked... Uh, an advancement on this conversation, and, and especially with election year, it would have been really nice to see if he if you've gone that extra let's step. See, let's see. Uh, let's listen in a little bit more. See what he has to say. So he's going into French there again for us a little bit. We missed, we missed that one answer, um, but you know we, we will keep dipping in just to see what he has to say. It's. It, it, it is interesting, and, and you know, I brought this up quickly with Paula, but one of the questions was, it was one thing after another after another after, and, and we ended up with three different incidents that we learned about, and he was asked how many times, and he said, you know, this is what I remember. Um, what's interesting is, 
when we look at incidents like this, and as you point out, as recently as 2001 for him when he's a grown man, even the reaction in 2001, there's been a lot of change and development in the way people uh, you know, talk about race, look at race, talk about privilege in 2019 versus 2001. But even in 2001, it seems somewhat surprising. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine. I, in 2001, I was a college student at UC Berkeley. I was about 20, about to turn 21. Even then, Erica, I knew doing blackface, brownface, or yellowface was racist and wrong. And it just goes to show you it's this, it's this privilege that blinds so many people. And not just uh, 2001. I mean, just recently, right, we've seen these examples of frat parties where the whole theme is around blackface and brownface. And you're seeing overwhelmingly white people, young white men and women, who don't consider themselves racist at all or doing anything wrong, just saying, hey, we're just getting to the in the spirit of things. We're not trying to culturally appropriate. You know, we're just wearing this uh, costume of an indigenous American and putting on brown face. We're just having fun. And again, it goes back to the, the first point is that when you're so divorced from the history of racism, when you're so privileged that you don't see it because it never affects you, you're allowed to be blissfully ignorant. To be ignorant is also to be privileged, right? And so for the rest of us, when we see black face and brown face, we're like, wow, mockery, ridicule, dehumanization for other people. It's a great costume for a party. And I always want to, you know, I've always wondered, like, when it comes to Governor Northam, right, that, that photo of him in blackface was in his yearbook. Did nobody else say, wait a minute, there's a man in blackface in the yearbook. Maybe we shouldn't put this photo in the yearbook, which is why it gets back to the point of systemic racism. We need an education about how this has affected so many communities. And that is a conversation, Erica, like you mentioned, we are very uncomfortable having in this country, and it mm -hmm. seems... It is just simply astounding to watch drunk grandpa last night who needs to be just pulled off to hospice, so, if not wow. home. <laughs> wow. What the? I, I, by the way, this end of the so table is rocking. Give me all the one second. Give me all the one second. I speak for the, 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 the gentleman from the Upper West Side and the Upper really East Side thought. say I disassociate myself <laughs> and they do as well from the comments of our colleagues. Regular order, regular order, sir. I was right the there at the end asking the question, but... Yeah, right. Mika, like, you talked about the bridge off in the distance and Mika going across yeah. it. This one just burned it down. It just, yeah. just, like, just torched the thing. Just in the wow, that was incredible. I'm just saying what everyone it saw. I'm gonna be the Once the Cokes had shown what they could do to politicians who put a toe out of line, it became much harder for Republicans to speak honestly about climate change. Just two guys managed to radically damage planet Earth. Two! The only time I want to see two guys destroy something is when it's late and I Google, you, you know what, forget it. That is not what this is about. They helped warp America's view of global warming from a fact so self-evident, even this guy was behind it, to a both sidesy mess that the right wing talks about like this. I do not believe that human activity is causing these dramatic changes to our climate. The problem with climate change is there's never been a day in the history of the world in which the climate is not changing. Why would you ever do a commercial with Nancy Pelosi? I was really stupid. Not as stupid as you'll feel when that couch is underwater and it's killed all marine life for miles around. You've been listening in on my um, editorial meetings and when I say or to my producers, oh my gosh, the judges are stacking the court. This and, and this is why people. This is why people who come on, um, uh, some of the, the Trump supporters, and they say this is why they. I, I can't stand anything else he does, but it's the policies. He's getting the judges through, mm -hmm. and he's getting a lot of them through, and people aren't even noticing. He had a milestone, as you said, 150 appointments.
That's, yeah, that's incredible. That's the point of the segment. That's why we call yeah. it Be on the Lookout. And I'll tell you what the most interesting <laughs> really? aspect of the surrender is. <laughs> Thanks for explaining I, that I to me. I know you weren't paying attention. <laughs> I'm just bringing you up to speed. Christian conservatives, okay, you and I have grown up with them saying it's not just about policy and politics. It's about the personal. Character counts. Uh, remember Mike Pence wrote this famous letter now about Bill Clinton. It's about morality and leadership. We must treat him as a neighbor. It's not just about the law. Now he stands next to President Trump. They surrendered character for the courts. That's what they did. Yeah, well, and for a whole lot of other things, when you think about it. You think about the support that this president has among evangelicals. We're going to talk about that, his support in general. Uh, We're going to talk about race, how it's become the main factor in this upcoming presidential race. But it's it's surprising. The thing that surprises me the most, it doesn't surprise me with folks who are secular, right, as we call secular in their support, because the people he, he appoints as judges, it shows you the kind of people that they want appointed, the kind of people they want in leadership roles. But actually, the support that he has among Christians and evangelical Christians is always very surprising to me. But what has the media done on a consistent basis? It's tried to make his tough border policies inherently or somehow systemically racist. And I would argue because he has depicted the people who are coming to the border as savages who are bombarding the gate. And to the extent that listen, some of them are. But we know that overwhelmingly they are not. Why don't you talk about the majority instead of the smaller slice? Why do you try to depict an entire population by the few and not the many? You just did. No, you just did, brother. You just did not. You just did. You said fair. I didn't. I said some of them are. And I know, some of them but are. that's the point. That but the why reality. wouldn't you say MS-13, most of them aren't? Here, look, all of them, if they're coming illegally, all of them are committing a crime. Okay, we know that. Now that doesn't mean they're a savage, but all of them are committing a crime. The people who suffer the most from illegal immigration, from the ravages of illegal immigration, from the unfair wage market competition, from the very preventable so crime he's, of so illegal So he's worried aliens. about that. That's why he the, the hires victims. illegal workers and doesn't tell the truth about it's, it. And that's why you guys drag Katie Steinle's family all over this country as an example of who we're trying to protect from these marauders at the gate. Because he's worried about the impact on the Latino community. I don't, I don't drag anybody's family across, uh, but I will tell you this. I, I talk a lot about a woman named Sandra Duran, a young Hispanic-American mother in Los Angeles who was killed, much like the Kate Steinle case, by somebody, an illegal alien who was deported five times previously. That's a totally preventable death, a beautiful young Hispanic-American who is dead because we made a decision in this country to be soft on borders, and California specifically made a decision to be a so-called sanctuary city. I, I even hate that term because if it's you only so sanctuary. Worried- about preventable deaths, then you would attack poverty the way you attack the southern border. Because and, those the way, are the most preventable homicides we have. I'm, People who are in a fit of desperation do stupid and even evil things as a product of it. But that's not I'm the way glad you guys talk about. No, you talk I, about I, well, the border. I sure do. And I am confident that this president is going to do incredibly well among Hispanics. Why? I certainly see it anecdotally when is I go Is he going to stop well, talking about them this way? Is he no, going to stop because, separating kids at the border? Look, Chris... What he is doing is delivering the conditions for prosperity for Hispanics in America. That is what is most important. If That's you what keep Hispanics encouraging people not to come government. to this country and that diversity is no longer a strength and that immigration is a dirty word, how, Wait, no, no, how no, no. are you Wait, making Chris, how are you making stop, a pitch? Stop setting, Chris, stop setting up a red herring. I didn't say any of that. Not you. And stop talking trying about to, the president. Look. Just because you're his echo doesn't mean that you say everything he says. No, I'm not his echo. And that's unfair. And I'm offended that you would say that about me. I'm not his echo. I I disagree with him. 
Thank you. When? Apology accepted. Uh, but look, when it, when it comes to immigration, uh, you and a lot of folks in the mainstream media constantly try to conflate illegal immigration with legal immigration. And Never. They have nothing, Never. They have nothing to do he with each other. He reduced the number so of legal immigrants also. He wants reductions in the policies that allowed his wife's family to come here. In L.A., homelessness has jumped 16% in a year. Half of Americans living on the streets are in California. It sparked concerns about safety and sanitation. How many homeless encampments are you seeing now in Los Angeles? A little shy of 700. Mayor Eric Garcetti calls it a crisis. I met up with him in the city's Homeless Response Command Center. Authorities here spent over $600 million on the issue last year and have more than doubled the number of people housed since 2015. But they have failed to keep pace with demand. Have you done a, a self-review of, of your role in this? Oh, absolutely. We do all the time. Look at Los Angeles with the tents and the horrible, horrible, disgusting conditions. President Trump blames this blue state's Democratic leadership. How do you react to that? This is not a partisanship issue at all. Partisan issue at all. Conservatives didn't start uh, you know, homelessness, though conservative cuts to programs certainly exacerbated, and liberals didn't cause homelessness. But tonight, many, like Thomas Aleman and his kids, are feeling they've been left behind. I had a good job, we had a home. Anybody can become homeless. It's a profound thought. Mayor Garcetti says within the next 10 months, L.A. will have opened 29 new homeless shelters, but is also now focusing on helping those who are on the verge of homelessness before they end up on the streets. Man, it, it's just fucking pathetic, man. It is just fucking but They are so petty. How petty? Paul Egan, Vice President Mike Pence, leaves the Grand Hotel on Mackinac, Mackinac Island Saturday in an eight-vehicle motorcade. The island's first ever. For those not from MI, you should understand what a huge transgression this is on our our Mackinac Island has been a car-free haven forever, a piece of history frozen in time. Tell anyone on MI, VP just drove not one but eight cars on the island and watched their blood boil. Rashida Tlaib, disgusting. I am in such disbelief that this would be allowed to happen. This administration doesn't care about the law, you know the U.S. Constitution, so it shouldn't surprise me so much that they don't care about our history or traditions. Liberals could say shit like that. Nobody points out. Uh, you don't follow any laws. Anna Navarro. This is petty number two. Breaking news. Reportedly, Stephen Miller found a human being willing to date him. These are journalists. Nick Miroff from NBC fucking news. Pence has hired Kate Waldham, 27, to be his new press secretary, per NBC. She was a spokesman for DHS under Nielsen, then comms director for Senator McSally. Also worth, no, no, worth noting, Waldem is dating Stephen Miller. Other. This is another journalist. With Stephen Miller dating, now we should all probably start thinking which wedding registry we should give to. Cage and barrel, immigrant target, or no beds, no baths, no soap. That's journalism, folks. Reuters said, hold my beer. First Lady Melania Trump struggles with a pair of oversized scissors as she officially reopens the Washington Monument after three years of extensive renovations. That was the title. 
that's sexist if she had a D behind her husband's name. Hmm. To other hate news, Women's March dumps Zara Billow just days after emergence of dozens of her anti-Semitic tweets in like Flynn is Rashida Tlaib. Always sit, free Palestine always sis. They won't silence us for speaking out against human rights violation. They will lie, smear our names, and call us anti this and that. But we always be pro humanity and we have the truth on our side. Stay strong, stay strong, sister. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You fucking anti-Semite. Then we got fucking AOC digging into everything's racist. D.C. was the first territory in the United States to free the enslaved. It's where black Americans fled the tyranny of slavery and towards greater freedom to D.C. Yet today, it's where second-class citizenship reigns and the right to vote is denied. It's time to recognize D.C. statehood. After blowback... Cortez clarifies D.C.'s slavery claim that you can't do it. It's written in the Constitution, you fucking idiot. No media uproar. This wasn't a story on CNN. Other news for AOC. At this point, the bigger national scandal isn't the president's law-breaking behavior. It's a Democratic Party refusal to impeach him for it. She got clubbed for that. By the left. Charles Barkley, once again, every four years they troll him out. He says the same thing. Nobody in liberal media, which is all the media, actually cares. Charles Barkley, Dems only talk to blacks every four years when they want their vote. And that's the truth. Two bits of hearing news this week. Our first one is Al Sharpton hearing explodes when Republican Act Sharpton about past racist and anti-Semitic statements. The funny thing is, Joe Scarborough did the same thing. And that's why this congressperson did it. Enjoy. Please refrain. Uh, the gentleman from uh, Florida. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And Reverend Sharpton, your current MSNBC co-worker, Joe Scarborough, is my former congressman. And when Joe Scarborough served in the Congress, he had quite a bit to say about your contribution to the national discussion. It was in the 106th Congress that Joe Scarborough filed a House Concurrent Resolution 270 entitled Condemning the Racist and Anti-Semitic Views of the Reverend Al Sharpton. Uh, Mr. Scarborough's resolution began by saying, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as blood-sucking Jews and Jew bastards. So my question to you is, does Mr. Scarborough's assertion that you said these things is that true or did you not say those things they are patently untrue uh i never said that okay uh and well, maybe, uh, well, maybe, can i finish gonna, my answer no uh it's actually my time but you will be able well, to well i thought you questions. raised the question so the next question can i answer to the question second comment he says where is the reverend since since aspersions were cast on the witness, the witness will be permitted. Absolutely. No, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Chairman. Aspersions weren't cast. I asked the witness. You asked, was it true that I said that? I, I can't reclaim my time, Mr. Chairman. Witness, you will have your time. The witness will be permitted to answer. You asked me, was that true? And the answer is, no, that was not true. And uh, as you know, Mr. Scarborough and I work very closely together. He comes to National Action Network conventions. I think he's a great guy, and we do each other's shows often. Mr. Scarborough also said, excuse me, the uh, gentleman who is um, 
The timekeeper will add 30 seconds to Mr. Gates' time. Joe Scarborough then wrote, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton has referred to members of the Jewish faith as white interlopers and diamond merchants, have you ever referred to members of the Jewish faith as white interlopers or diamond merchants? No, sir. I, I referred to one in Harlem, an individual who I didn't even know was Jewish, as an interloper, and said I should never have referred to his race. I said that I was against those that were using apartheid diamonds. <clears throat> and when I did a funeral in Crown Heights in 91, because we were boycotting Oppenheimer and those that were selling diamonds from apartheid South Africa. Thank in the you, same Mr. sermon, I'm, I'm trying time. to now finish my answer, sir. No, Am I allowed to finish my answer? I'm allowed to no, the, my the, the, You asked a question, and I'm answering yeah, I got a few more. Yeah. Uh, and I have a few more answers. I can't wait. Well, It'll apparently be... you do because you don't want me to answer. No, I, I want so to So since you raised it, let me finish. And I, I, I also right talked about people snatching pocketbooks that are in the... I'm not, not how this work, I'm answering your question. Everyone will chairman. suspend, please. Mr. Chairman, a parliamentary inquiry. Everyone will suspend. Mr. Scarborough continued, whereas the Reverend Al Sharpton led a protest in the Crown Heights neighborhood and marched next to a protester with a sign that read... The white man is the devil. Did you march next to a sign that said... I have no recollection of that. I've marched in uh, many things where there were signs that I did or did not agree with. Scarborough And, and I, uh, and I would say that if I was aware of that, I would have said I that I would not want to have, the to have that sign. Witness and not just have him continue to well, then you shouldn't ask me a question if you don't want an well, answer. I want to know if you said them. You could say yes or no. You said no, them. I w uh, well, I cannot answer Mr. Chairman on yes or no when he's asking me whether or not. The witness is obviously disrupting the committee. I, I, the witness, first of all, this has nothing to do with policing. Since he wants to, since he wants to make the subject Joe Scarborough and I, then let me answer it. I, I had nothing to, last I know, Joe Scarborough nor I are members of the police department or has anything what to do with excessive force. But I'm loving to engage this if he lets me finish. What is outrageous is a matter of opinion. The gentleman controls the time. Mr. Chairman, I ask that to be restored. gentleman controls the time. Oh, so you're not going to restore my time? No. Joe Scarborough continues, the Reverend Al Sharpton's fierce demagoguery incited violence, riots, and murder in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? As a matter of fact, the New York State uh, uh, did a extensive study on the Crown Heights rise said I was not even there until after there was death of uh, Yanko Roosevelt. I was not even called by the family until the day after. Thank you, Mr. We Mr. had nothing to do with it. When I came Mr. to Mr. Crown Heights, you ever I led the first nonviolent march there. Are, are you really? All right, fine. Mr. Uh, Mr. Sharpton, have you ever referred to African-Americans who disagree with you as cocktail sip Negroes? I have. Florida may proceed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Have you ever referred to African-Americans who disagree with you as yellow and then the N-word? I don't know that. I've, I've referred to people as, as names. I don't know if it's because I, they disagree with me. But I have uh, said things about blacks and whites. I'm glad you made it clear that I don't only attack whites. Thank you for that. Have you ever said that – have you ever uh, referred to African-Americans who disagree with you as Negro militants? I didn't know that was a derogatory statement. I didn't say it was. Just ask if you used it. I don't know. I don't recall. Have you ever said, if the Jews want to get it on, 
Tell them to pin their yarmulkes back and come over to my house. No, there was a man named Mordecai Levy who had been charged with some terrorist acts who threatened to march on me and several other activists in New Jersey. And he said he was going to come deal with my hairstyle. And I'm referring to his hairstyle. I said for him to pin it and come on. I was not talking about all Jews. Well, you no. Said those words. No, I said about Mordecai Levy. Have you said, I'm in hell already, I'm in Israel? Yeah, because I had been threatened that uh, if I came over to deal with it, I believe that you can deal with the decorum of the Congress, but you cannot disrespect a witness. You cannot answer a question, ask a question and tell the witness he can't answer the question. It's permitted to answer a question. You, you're, you're welcome to answer him. How about well, then let me answer, sir. Okay. Let me answer, because I'm enjoying this. I, I, think that, that? I, I think that you have... You're at a, a committee about policing. Don't, don't get upset. Calm down. Calm down. down. You're yelling. You're yelling. You're the other. Calm down. I think that I'm trying to answer your last question. Gentlemen, it would be permitted... The time of the gentleman has expired. The witness may answer the question. The one about offing the pigs. Answer that one. The witness may answer the question. The time of the gentleman has expired. The witness may answer the question. The a question that he raised, what I was saying was clearly that I have disagreed with blacks and whites. I've used language graphically sometimes to do so, some of which I've grown beyond, but none of which uh, shows anything other than I am an equal opportunity attacker, and I'm glad that Joe Scarborough and I both are equal opportunity attackers that now work together. Upon consideration, I will withdraw my previous objection. The document will be entered into the record. The gentleman from Ohio is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield to the gentleman from Florida, Mr. Gates. Thank the gentleman for yielding, and I was reviewing your prior answer, Reverend Sharpton. You are cited in a Washington Examiner piece July 30th, 2019, is having said, if the Jews want to get it on, tell them to pin their yarmulkes back and come over to my house. And in your response to my question, you said you were just <clears throat> referring to one person. So here is my very limited question for you, Reverend. Were you misquoted in this story when you say the Jews and them, referring to a plural group of people rather than one person you seem to have a grievance with? What? <clears throat> Am I allowed to answer? My name is Sharpton, not Lewandowski. I will answer the question if I'm allowed. Please. We know your name, sir. Go ahead and answer. And, and you then know that I'm going to answer. I was referring to an incident and a threat to come to my home by Mordecai Levy and to the homes of, I believe, Reverend Daughtry and others. Uh, how the examiner, I think you said, or someone else wrote, I'm not looking at it, so I do not know whether they misquoted me or not. I do know what I said and who I was referring to. Well, did you say them? I just said that I'm not looking at the statement. I do not. I you're, talking about, you're talking about a situation that happened in 1991. If I said them, the, or those, I don't know. I know the incident, and I know what I was referring to. And a man threatening to come to our home who had that kind of criminal uh, record. And I had two young children, you, I think under five years old. Thank you. I appreciate the answer. Again, I'm not Lewandowski. Let me no, talk. I, I'll talk. I'll talk. I'll testify before this committee. You know, so, so is it your belief that... If I said them said or not, would that help or hurt excessive force of policing? Well, I think it's pretty significant when someone wants to come and preach to us... Mr. Chairman, chairman, point of parliamentary inquiry. Mr. Chairman, point of parliamentary inquiry. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I ain't having no march. I believe in fighting. Well, fight then. Ain't nobody holding you. I'll off the man. 
We'll off him. Plenty of crackers walking around here tonight. Did you say those words? I do not recall uh, saying I will not march. I think for the last 40 years I've marched. Uh, I think that you're referring to, and I'm not sure, but I think you're referring to when I was dealing with some people that said that they don't want to march and that they're going to off people. And I told them there are plenty of people walking around that they call the name. They're not offing anybody because I felt that they were just trying to disrupt our asking you, people to march. So in the context of I was, I was quoting, as I said, I was quoting, as I said, the reference made about I don't want to march. astrology and mathematics before Socrates and them Greek homos ever got around to it. Did you say that, Mr. Sharpton? I talked about African history and I talked about how uh, we had dealt with astrology as well as mathematics and philosophy and religion in Africa. But you, you referred to people as Greek homos, didn't you? I do not recall how I referred to uh, anyone. Uh, and you'd have to cite. You'd have do to you cite. Think that your bigoted statements in 1991 are excusable just because they were in 1991? I think that any statement that I've made that was wrong, I have clearly said that we should not make bigoted statements, including me. I also think that to have distort. I think that also to distort. Have you? Have you, you made can, you can ask, yield you can ask all the questions you want, but I'm going to answer the questions. When you call Greek homos, when you talk about white crackers, those are bigoted no, statements. I, I, I think I made it clear that I was quoting what somebody said. No, Yelling and getting upset is beneath your office. You should calm down. Time is the gentleman's. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I would note these are highly relevant to the issues that we're facing. Reverend Sharpton has come before the House Judiciary Committee as, me, a the clock should be running. as a purported expert Why on policing. And yet his bigoted statements undermine the bipartisan work we should be doing to ensure that all citizens are able to come together and have safe communities. Point uh, of order, Mr. Now, Chairman. How is this remain? Remain? Point of order. Point of order. Although the gentleman's comments may be obnoxious. Although they may I object be, to that. Point of order. That is an well, improper characterization. Well, the comments the may be characterized as whatever you want to characterize them as. I, I, the I have a point of order that your words be taken down and referred to. Oh, woe is me. I pick a fight and now I need help. Under the rules, the gentleman has wide latitude both on the question of germanus and on the uh, language that he uses. And unfortunately, under the rules, I cannot overrule him. The gentleman will proceed. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. You sold your life story, Mr. Sharpton, to your own charity. How much money did your charity pay you for the rights to tell your story? Parliamentary inquiry. Mr. Chairman, this is an outrage, and the question is whether you can impugn the motives and or insult or badger the witness or cost or, or characterize his presence the at this table. The gentlelady was not recognized. The gentleman will proceed. How much money did your charity pay you, you personally, for the right to tell your life story? <clears throat> My charity owed a certain amount of money to me and asked, could they use that money to have the right to sell any rights to my life, be it documentary, one-man uh, uh, play, or other items that they have already began reaping dividends. They would have paid, had to pay me the same sum anyway because it was owed to me. Was that some so over the half a million answer, dollars? can I finish? Was it over half a million dollars? Can I finish? Whatever the sum was, the sum, whatever the sum, 
to tell your life story because I think most people would see that charity again fraud charity again owed me a certain amount of money that they would have had to pay anyway and they were I agreed to allow them or less than 500,000 that is paid him for his life gentlemen's time I allowed them to use those funds to have my right more than a half a million bucks gentlemen will suspend his time is expired the gentleman from New York is recognized how you can have him on anything about racism when he is a gigantic racist just shows the left doesn't get it. They use racism just to try to win arguments, but they really don't care about it because that dude's racist as fuck. And our last soundbite, as we go into our second music break, Johnny Cash Hurt, and in the news and social media nuggets, understand this is a white liberal lecturing a black woman, Candace Owens, about racism. This is the perfect microcosm of what's wrong with progressivism. Young, white hipsters telling black people what they think. And I just don't know why African Americans put up with this shit. If I was a black guy, I would go the fuck off on this arrogant biatch this is the progressivism in a nutshell i just have to say that i object strenuously to your use of the word hilarious um to me this feels a lot like your reaction to being named in one of these manifestos now you're of course not responsible for the words of somebody writing that document but i do think that laughing at it is a real problem because these are real families that are impacted by this violence. And I think our efforts towards talking about this have to start from a place of mutual respect, which is what I've heard from, from this side of the table. Now, the reason we don't have those numbers, I want those numbers as much as you do, but the number, to say the numbers don't show something is simply not supported by the data. Okay, and I have 38 seconds left, Ms. Mulligan, if you, can, if you want to respond within that time. The only thing I would add is that um, it's in the name, terrorism, domestic terrorism. It terrorizes us. It terrorizes us in our homes. It terrorizes us in our schools. Um, and, the, and to the points made by, by the other panelists, it is disproportionate um, to its impact on any individual life. And it's not. You reject the idea it's something that doesn't matter or doesn't really matter. Absolutely reject. Okay. All right. So here's where we are. Every, every member now has had five minutes in. Okay, and Mr. Clay, so we have two members who have not, so I'm going to go to the two members who have not yet, and, then, and we'll give an opportunity for a closing thought to any member who wants before we go. Am I next to respond, or is Mr. Meadows? I thought Mr. Meadows was Mr. next. Mr. Meadows, okay. Mr. Meadows is next, then Mr. Clay, then to you, Mr. Jordan. Uh, Ms. Owens, obviously this is a gang up on you. You know, we, we're, we're giving... Uh, these witnesses the ability to do a rebuttal on you and so um, you know I I find it unfair Miss Ballou I mean you know candidly for you to show mutual respect and then you to go after Miss Owens it's not appropriate so Miss Owens you can have four minutes and 34 seconds to respond however you for a second? I'll, I'll yield to the Thank you. Uh, I believe, Ms. Owens, when you used the word hilarious, it was, in, it was referencing the fact that no one had asked you a question. It wasn't to the subject matter of the hearing. Is that right? 
That is correct. And for ha to have another witness insinuate something that is not accurate is just not appropriate, Mr. Chairman, for how witnesses are supposed to behave in front of this committee. I also think you didn't say it doesn't matter about the subject matter of today's hearing. You said there are other subjects that matter as well, and maybe we should spend some time on those. Is that accurate? That is correct, and they matter much, 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 much more. And I have said that. I said that in my opening, and I will say it again, you know that white supremacy and white nationalism is nowhere near, ranks nowhere near the top of the issues that are facing black America. And the reason that you are bringing them up in this room is because it is attempt to make the election all about race as the Democrats Not in do. my case, Ms. Please Owens. I'm sorry. Please my, do not characterize Ms. my motive. Mr. Chairman, it's my time. Yeah, you, it's my got, time. You've got your time, Mr. Meadows. I'll Every give you three more seconds. Every four years, you bring up race, and you knew exactly what I meant when I said hilarious, and you just tried to do live what the media does all the time to Republicans, to our president, and to conservatives, which is you tried to manipulate what I said to fit your narrative, okay? I was not referring to the subject matter that is hilarious. I said it's hilarious that we are sitting in this room today, and I've got two doctors and a missus, and nobody can give us real numbers that we can respond to so we can assess how big of a threat this is, because you know that it is not as big of a threat as you are trying to make it out to be so that you can manipulate. And the audacity of you to bring up the Christchurch shooting manifesto and make it seem as if I laughed at people that were slaughtered by a homicidal maniac is, in my opinion, absolutely despicable. And I think that we should be above that. To try to assign reality or any meaning to a homicidal maniac writing a manifesto, which, by the way, let the record show, also stated Spyro the Dragon, the child's cartoon, as a source of inspiration. He also cited Nelson Mandela as a source of information. I don't think, I don't think that Nelson Mandela has inspired mosque shootings. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong. You, are, you would rather assign meaning to a homicidal maniac than to actually address that I said to, the things that I said today that are actually harming black America. Number one, father absence. Number two, the education system and the illiteracy rate. Illegal immigration ranks high, abortion ranks high, white supremacy and white nationalism, if I had to make a list again of 100 things, would not be on it. This hearing, in my opinion, is a farce. And it is ironic that you're sitting here and you're having three Caucasian people testify and tell you what their expertise are. Do I know what my expertise are? black in America. I've been black in America my whole life, all 30 years, and I can tell you that you guys have done the exact same thing every four years ahead of an election cycle, and it needs to stop. I'll, I'll yield back. Uh, thank you, Mr. Meadows. And Many words which have once held very serious meanings have come to take on a different definition over the last couple of years as Democrats have desperately tried to grapple with the fact that they are no longer able to manipulate Americans with broad claims and broad strokes of racism, sexism, misogyny, and the like. Words like racism, which today most nearly means anything or anyone that disagrees with the liberal, and terms like white nationalism, which today and in this room and upon this floor most nearly means that it's election time, America. It's time for the left to do what they do best divide, distract, and hope to keep their most important voting bloc to their party, which is black Americans, angry and emotional and reactive enough to keep voting for the same party that has systematically destroyed our families, sent our men to prison, and deferred all of our dreams. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain 
the only thing that's real. The needle tears the hole. The old familiar sting. Try to kill it all away, but I remember everything. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all. My empire of dirt. Upon my liar's chair, full of broken thoughts, I cannot repair. Beneath the stains of time, the feelings disappear. You are someone else. I am still right here. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end, and you could have it all. I will make you hurt if I could start again a million miles away. I will keep myself. I would find a way. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Trying to get crazy with this scene. Don't you know I'm local? Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose 
his mind. Clearly in the moment of you know, like, like you are not stepping up to the plate. Like, we need you leadership as well. Like, come on, you're just not going to do it. Like, come on. Like, it's, it's hurting our bodies and minds. Come on, like, how are you going to let him just cozy up to dictators? How are you going to just let him lock kids in cages? Like, come on, dude. Are you kidding me? You need to get your courage back. Come on. We need you. We need you. Yes, we are telling us. We're all coming back. The devil yelling is yelling. No, I got one of the rats. You are the man. Like, we need you. We are asking you for your leadership. We're not trying to attack you. Read the Mueller report. Like, read, read. Yes, absolutely. There are ten impeachable obstruction offenses, sir. Like, come on. Can I come down? No, come on. This is members only. This is members only help. You're not going to let a fellow that don't need to talk to you. You have to make your video. You have to make your video. You didn't come here to have a conversation. I do want to have a conversation. We should be smarter about how we talk about things. Look, I'm just members only help. You don't want to be held accountable by fellow veterans, Congressman? Yes, I got you. Don't video anymore. Oh, I thought we were going to have a real conversation for a second. I told you, you are I going to, those. You're going to let right a now. criminal get away with our democracy. Again, he again, he is you, a criminal. You, you repeating if he, things is not a conversation. If I did half the things he has done, I would be in Leavenworth. I would be underneath Leavenworth, sir. Like you would be too. You can't let this happen. You're going to let a criminal hijack our democracy. This is your duty. I'm here doing my duty. That is some anti-Trump veterans attacking Dan, Dan Crenshaw, which I just thought was perfect. He handled that well. They just they need to calm down. Of course, liberals said that it was um, him hiding in an elevator from him. Yeah, that's what they went with. U.S. troops deploying to Saudi Arabia, UAE to counter Iran. This is getting sporty. It's under a thousand. No word yet on who's deploying, but when it comes out, I'll hit it. This tiny thermal weapons optic with red dot is designed for close combat. Steiner Opt E Optics uh, is coming. It's a 12 micron thermal camera with a red dot overlay. It's pretty fucking high speed. The Marines are going to be using it. Simultaneously, the Marines are testing non-lethal mortar rounds for crowd control. Um... The 81mm rotor round that delivers a shower of flashbang grenades to disperse troublemakers at air bursts so it won't, you know, hit people. Very interesting. Beretta PMX submachine gun makes U.S. debut and modern-day Marine. The Beretta Defense Technology showed our production model of its PMX submachine gun for the first time in the U.S. this week at Modern 
Day Marine, excuse me, a redesign of the Beretta Iconic MP12, which was designed after World War II. So that should be an interesting weapon. And last but not least, because we're saving for Friday, our next podcast, my Air Force, or my Army Times. At 98, D-Day Vet jumps again with eyes on the big 100. That's amazing. Good on him. To our college crazy, here's a clown with a bike horn shutting down a college Republican event. I just wanted to play it so I could actually say that. A clown with a bike horn. What are your sources? Jordan Bravo said, I am not a scientist, but... No, I said, I am not a scientist, but I play one on TV. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to help her out. What do we think of that? Bullshit! Oh, all right. Come on, one more time. Okay. Thank you. Did you call me mention? No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Please step outside. Please step outside. Please step outside. So I think at this point it's very clear that no one's stepping outside, so either this event is the stop or we should stay before. Are you a student? You do have to answer that. Are you a student? Are you a student? Are you aware of the student code of conduct? Are you a student? Yes or no? You're not going to answer that? You might be a trespasser. I don't know. If you're a student, you're not. Are you a student? Are you a student? I understand. This is what I'm saying. Do you understand what the student code of conduct is? Do you understand when someone asks you for your bill card, you have to present it? Okay, please step out in the hallway then. Please step out in the hallway. How does not have your bill card to Please step out in the hallway. Yes, please step up out in the hallway. Because you've been given a lawful order to step out of the hallway. I understand that. I understand that. Please step out in the hallway. Please. Because wouldn't you like the other people that support your ideas? Everybody that supports my ideas is in here. Okay. And I'd like the people that don't support my ideas also get to hear Okay. We're going to have a conversation outside because the organizers of the event has said this person, this person, and this person. So I'm going to walk in. Okay. Okay. All right. So we, we can do this in here. I, I don't mind. I don't mind doing this in here. Do you have your go card on you? No, I do not. Then you have to get out of the room. And why is that? Student code of conduct. Would you like to read it? We're going to explain it in the hall. Ma'am, please. What do we want? When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. Louder. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. I can't hear us on the other side of the hall. Louder. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate justice. Are you a student here? So you're refusing to give your go card or your go card information? I don't have one. Could you please step out in the hallway so we can have a conversation? Okay, well, so we can get that information. Please step out in the hallway so we can have a conversation. Okay, but I, I understand that. I agree with you. But you will be giving a lawful order to step outside. Right? For us to have a conversation. What you're saying is that you don't want to follow the law. <laughs> what's the law order? The law order has to go out. I'm not saying that. I'm 
They were climate activists, as you could guess. Professor's office door as Trump-Hitler photo, KKK painting, Captain America. Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Joseph Stalin, and President Donald Trump all belong to the same group, according to a poster displayed in the office door of North Dakota professor. This poster is another featuring a Ku Klux Klan member drawing Captain America, both shown in an image obtained exclusively, exclusively by campus reform, appear on the office door of Dr. Harry Hoffman, a sociology professor at Minot State University by my daughter. Yeah... And he goes on to say that, yeah, it makes sense. I don't even want to read it. What a fucking douche nozzle. Michael Moore's Kill Whitey book chapter is required reading for a Syracuse course. Syracuse University is requiring students to enroll in one course to buy a book by leftist Michael Moore, Kill Whitey, Syracuse professor S.N. Sangman, Sangapapaka, I don't know to say his name, teaches the African-American politics course requiring the book more calls black conservatives, Uncle Tom's and sellouts in the book chapter, a copy of which campus reform obtained. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that makes sense. Yeah, that, that's higher learning. Sure is. Not. New York students play social justice board game at mandatory training. Yeah. False Summit. Factuality is a combination of a board game and discussion in which participants play with a sexually and racially diverse cast of characters. Each character encounters a series of fact-based advantages and limitations based on the interaction of the race, gender, sexual orientation, faith and class, and as you know it, males who are white, you're just gonna fucking go to jail, directly to jail. Yeah. Carnegie Mellon students earn credit while studying Harry Potter... Game of Thrones, and Star Wars. Higher learning. Handmaid's Tale author, government should pay women forced to not kill their children. Yeah. The Handmaid's Tale may have been written over 30 years ago, but it's more relevant than ever as an Emmy-winning TV series, a powerful image of protest, and some say a cautionary tale of where this country should be headed. And she goes on to say, if you want this state to claim ownership of a woman's body, you should pay. So if somebody's drafted in the army, they get their food, their lodging, and clothing, their medical, all that's covered. So if you want to do that to a woman, you should have to pay. Don't you agree? 
Jesus Christ on a popsicle stick. Dictionary.com. Ahem. It's pronoun day. Here's what the grammar gods have to say. Merriam-Webster. For non-binary pronouns, they, they has been added to the dictionary. Used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. I knew certain things about the person I was interviewing. They had adopted their gender-neutral name a few years ago when they began, they began, and they use it in a sentence, ACLU, there, now you have no excuse. But it wasn't just for non-binary. ABC News petition calls for Oxford English Dictionary to remove sexist terms for women. 30,000 signatories. The words they want removed, bitch. Pierce, bit, mare, baggage, wench, petticoat, frail, and biddy. Can you say petty? And showing that it was a banner news for all these wahoos, CNN article, the Vagina Museum will educate visitors about vulvas and vaginas while challenging the prevailing stigma surrounding them. Development and marketing manager Zoe Williams told CNN. The first museum in the world dedicated solely to the vagina will open in London in November. How do you say that without laughing? The Vagina Museum will educate visitors about vulvas and vagina while challenging their prevailing stigmas surrounding them. Development and marketing manager Zoe William told CNN. The museum will open on November 16th at a temporary location in London's Camden Market with an exhibit entitled Muff Busters. Vagina Myths and How to Fight Them. The exhibition will challenge pervasive myths about vagina and vulva, such as the vaginas and vulva need to be clean through the use of bespoke feminine cleaning products. However, the vagina is completely self-cleaning. It's like a fucking oven. Okay. Jesus Christ. Nicole Badera is a sociology PhD candidate at the University of Michigan who got their asses kicked by Wisconsin, studying sexual violence, masculinity, and gender inequality. If that doesn't scream future Starbucks barista, nothing does. Badera wrote an entire thread on her dissertation basically claiming it's not a big deal for innocent men to be accused of rape. As part of my dissertation, I set out to gather evidence of whether or not men accused of rape really had their lives ruined. I never found any evidence of ruined lives, but I heard a lot of stories from survivors about overwhelming trauma, including a lot of suicide attempts. Hundreds of young men wrongly accused are in therapy for trauma. Many have contemplated or attempted suicide. Somebody lightened her to a list of people who actually have, because their lives must be pretty bad, but they're not ruined, because they're a man, and they have privilege. C.H. Beard's our next one. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Hunters have done more for species conservation and wildlife management than your organization could ever hope to. Because PETA came out, contrary to what hunters often say in defense of their cruel pastime, hunting has done nothing to do with conservation or population control. And the entire world says, you're full of shit, because 60% of all conservation comes... Hunting and fishing license, you fucking morons. Sarah Rayo, here we go again. It's time for an election. Lots of white ladies making money and getting famous off of anti-racism work. Ever think to use your platform and power to let those who actually experience racism speak? I suspect you'd be pissed if Chuck Schumer and Donald Trump got book and TV deals about anti-sexism. White women are the greatest villains of all time. It must be devastating not to be able to hide 
by your husbands. Yeah. Huge University holds white privilege workshop. Only nine people show up. Nine. Yeah. Megan Fox defends letting her six-year-old son wear dresses. I'm teaching them to. I'm trying to teach him to be confident, no matter what anyone else else says. Okay. And Chick-fil-A sales have only doubled since the LGBT boycott began in 2012. They're going to reach $30 billion by next year. Keep on protesting. ESPN's Barnes omits basic facts and hyping transgender wrestler. And I don't want to go on this again. It's the same kid that keeps winning. And it's just fucking bullshit. To our story from last podcast... Football game got canceled after school punishes cheerleaders. They canceled the whole game over a fucking Trump banner. Yeah. A Trump banner. That's just fucking pathetic. NBC News, once again, a news organization, supposedly. Barstool Sports and the persistence of traditional masculinity in sports culture. Not only has it been parallel, I think a conservative reactionary response to women increasing prominence and equality is institutionalized by a place called Barstool Sports. So Sonia Kamali, a woman's rights activist and author of Rage Becomes Her, The Power of Women's Anger. I don't have any sense that Me Too or even Trump's election was ever going to make a dent in that culture. Conservative ideology appears to be a core part of Barstool Sports, especially its portrayal of gender roles with hyper-masculine, sports-loving men and hyper-sexualized, submissive women. The site's reinforcement of conservative American values is what makes it, its content stand out from its competitors. Maria Harden, the dean of Penn State or Donald P. Belisario College of Communication said. So an anti-man woman is upset about a fucking sports website? Here's an idea. Don't go to it. That's what I do. I don't spend a lot of time on a HuffPo. It just angers me. Claim SNL hired comic who made racist remarks in an effort to attract conservatives. And then they promptly fired him. That makes sense somehow. The horror New York Times frets over the diabolical dishwasher lobby. I did not stutter. Dishwasher lobby. The New York Times climate reporter Toriko Tabuchiki went to war against secretive conservative free market group that are fighting counterproductive regulations on Wednesday's edition. Warriors against environmental rule champion the dishwasher. Environmental reporter Tabuchi found herself in a strange position of embracing corporate public relations speaker speak for dishwasher manufacturers in the case of defending regulations. It's not a new concept. Large corporations often embrace regulations knowing they keep small, less capitalized competitors out of the market. Of all the conservative efforts to persuade the Trump administration to weaken the nation's environmental rules, the dishwasher lobby might be the most peculiar Dishwashers used to clean a full load of filthy dishes in under an hour, but now they take an average of two and a half hours and still leave dish dirty. The Sierra Club is filing a lawsuit. Dishwasher maker themselves dispute the dishwasher performance has got worse because of environmental regulations, and they say they aren't looking for weaker standards. 
I don't think they're listening to the industry. Much of the support for these rollbacks has come instead from a small group of conservative free market organizations, many allied with fossil fuel industries. For example, a secretive policy group financed by corporations, the American Legislation Exchange Council, worked alongside the gasoline producer Marathon Petroleum to urge legislators to support weakening the clear air rules. I didn't even know there was a dishwasher lobby. And by the way, fucking chuckleheads, I don't even have a dishwasher. We chucked our shit. It's a waste of fucking time. And plus, we only have two people. So, it would take an hour to clean a load of dishes, and it takes me five minutes after dinner just to scrub a, scrub a dub dub. And yes, not all the time do I fill the sink. I just use a bowl. So, get off me. Man dies after underwater marriage proposal goes horribly wrong. We're in our crazy crime. This is so sad. Stephen Weber Jr. had a novel idea on a dream of vacation to Tanzania with his girlfriend this week. The Louisiana man decided to propose underwater. In a Facebook post, Kanisha Atoin shared a video showing Weber swimming up to the camera with a note in a plastic bag. The note read, I can't hold my breath long enough to tell you everything I love about you, but everything I love about you, I love more every day. On the other side of the paper, Weber asked Antoine and Antoine or whatever the fuck to marry him. In the video, she says yes, and Weber swims away, but he never got to see her or hear her answer. He drowned. Ah, I think it was a rip current. That's fucking horrible. Florida grandmother outraged after six-year-old arrest for tantrum. Florida grandmother was shocked to find out her six-year-old granddaughter had been arrested Thursday for throwing a tantrum. Merlin Kirkland says Kayaya journey to juvenile detention center by Orlando police officers began as Lucius and Emma Nixon Elementary's charter school. What do you mean she was arrested? There was an incident. She kicked somebody and she's being charged and she's on her way, Kirkland explained. The disorienting chaos was too much for Kirkland to process. She has a medical condition and we're working on getting resolved, she says. And it's basically, she's a fucking brat. So they cuffed her and took her away. And now it's all about racism, even though everybody was black who actually was involved. Hmm. Bronx homeowner chases would-be intruder down and beats him to death. Now, he's being charged with manslaughter. There's another one in New York. Guys shot three people. They're black. So, of course, now the story isn't they broke in a house and got fucking schwacked. It's they didn't deserve to die. They're just misunderstood. She quit her job. He got night goggles. They searched 57 days for their dog, and they found it. Somehow, that would be me and the better half. And last but not least, flu season alert. Hand sanitizer not very effective against virus strain. Study warns. They're actually saying that hand sanitizer isn't going to help you with some of these strains this year. You actually have to wash your hands. So, (coughs) note to self. Wash your hands. So, we're going to go into our lighter fare. The first one's from me. This is from uh, College Game Day. And, I, you know, once again, uh, Georgia played Notre Dame this weekend, and they won. But to show that college football is just crazy cray, 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 crazy, listen to this. I'm not sure that you had quite the intensity 
with cooperation from local merchants. Oh, look at what happened with the grocery store around the Athens area. They took all of the Irish Spring soap off the shelves. That's the next oh, level, man. man. Yeah. That's, the next That's right level. up there with Ohio State reading out the, the M's. M's. Yeah. <laughs> That's right up there at that level. <laughs> oh, exactly. They'll bring it back next week unless Notre Dame wins. Our next little story is, I think, pretty heartwarming. A Tennessee baby was born on 9-11 at 9-11 p.m., weighing 9 pounds, 11 ounces. Talk about putting a positivity on a negative. Good job. The rest are brought by Zach. First one. What a cool experience. Got to travel alongside the Miami Dolphins team bus there. And it's a large trailer full of porta potties. And I thought that was pretty funny. Another one, stick a turkey leg in a sneaker and let your dog run around your yard. It literally looks like they they got a human leg that they've gnawed on, which I thought's fantastic. And then from Steve, real Steve McGrew. At least you don't have to wonder which bathroom to use in San Francisco. All 72 genders can take a shit in the street. <laughs> that is spot on. Then finally, he sent this to me and it was while we're watching football. It's pretty cool. Um, I never even thought about looking this up. Here's the reason why every NFL team got its name. The NFL is currently made up of 32 different franchises. But did you know over 75 have existed in league history? We're turning back the gridiron clock. It's the official evolution of the NFL, 100 years in the making. The NFL was born in 1920, known originally as the American Professional Football Association. It started with 14 teams, 12 of them clumped together in the Midwest, two others playing in New York. And in order to join this group, you had to put up $100 for a franchise. You'll notice many of the early franchises didn't even have official team logos. That's because teams were so informal back then, they just didn't even create them. Uh, Jim Thorpe was unanimously elected president because of the name recognition that he could garner for this national pro football league. Of the 14 original teams, only two would stick around to celebrate the league's 100th anniversary. The Decatur Staley's, known today as the Chicago Bears, and the oldest team in the NFL, the Chicago Cardinals, who have since built their nest in Arizona. The story behind the, the Cardinals' name really goes back to Chris O'Brien when he purchased the uniforms that, that the, the Cardinals were going to wear. He, he purchased them from the Chicago Maroons, and they were faded. And somebody referred to the jerseys as maroon color, and he said, those aren't maroon, that's Cardinal Red, and, and that Cardinal name stuck. While those two franchises are the oldest in the game, they did not win the league's first ever title. That distinction belongs to the Akron Pros, who finished that inaugural season undefeated at 8-0-3. Yes, three ties. The Pros weren't just the league's first champions either. They were also the first team in the league to break the color barrier. The Akron Pros are one of those teams that uh, are lost to history, but Fritz Pollard was both a player and a coach for that Akron Pros team. And since diamond-filled Super Bowl rings were clearly not the rage just yet, all the Pros players received this tiny gold football pendant for their efforts. 
The pros were also the first and last recipients of the league's championship trophy, known as the Brunswick Balky Colander Cup, which to this day represents one of the greatest mysteries in NFL lore. It was lost after that first season, and this is the only known picture of it. Following the league's first year, two teams renamed themselves and one moved. The Decatur Staley's setting up shop in Chicago and winning their first ever championship while they were at it. The Chicago Tigers, meanwhile, folded, but eight new teams joined. The league was now up to 21 teams, all still located in Midwestern and Eastern states. Several of the new additions didn't last long. The Tonawanda Cardex holding the ultimate one-hit wonder crown, playing just one league game, thereby making it the shortest-lived franchise in NFL history. The Dexies Midnight Runners of teams. The Green Bay Packers, however, would stick around, cementing itself as one of the most storied franchises in the league. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, a team was founded with $500 put up by a meatpacking company. They became known as the Packers. The Green Bay Packers were one of those first teams that stadium was constructed with football as its main sport being played in it. No other team in the league has played in the same city under the same name for as long as Green Bay has. Following the 21 season, seven teams left the league and four new ones joined. The Milwaukee Badgers, the Oorang Indians, the Racine Legion, and the Toledo Maroons. The Staley's, meantime, made a good call and changed their name to the Bears. Their owner, George Hallis, picked Bears because they originally were playing their games in the same stadium as the Chicago Cubs. Hallis not only wanted to connect his new team to the more established baseball franchise, but he also reasoned that football players in general were bigger than baseball players, so the name made sense on multiple levels. But the even bigger name change that took place that year was the league's. The American Professional Football Association was out to be known forever on as the National Football League. I think a lot of that comes from wanting to be looked at or viewed as a national organization. As the 1923 season got underway, it did so without the Evansville Crimson Giants, who bowed out, the Cleveland Indians, Duluth Kellys, and St. Louis All-Stars all checked in. In 1924, five teams left. Three joined, the cities of Frankfurt, Kenosha, and Kansas City all being granted membership in the league. A year later, though, Kenosha, Racine, and Minneapolis all left. The Blues changed their name to the Cowboys. Canton rejoined, and Detroit, Providence, Pottsville, and New York were all added to the mix. The Giants, the lone team to stick, making them the fourth oldest team in the league. Tim Mara set up his storefront in the polo grounds located on Upper Manhattan's Coogan's Bluff. The New York Giants name came about really to attach pro football team with their Major League Baseball counterpart, trying to gain some of that uh, fandom uh, from Major League Baseball. That means ultimately the name Giants was inspired by all the skyscrapers in New York. In 1926, three teams changed their names, including the league's first-ever champs, the Akron Pros, who switched to the Indians. Three franchises were dropped, but the Racine Legion came back as the Tornadoes, and four others were also added. The Brooklyn Lions, the Hartford Blues, the Louisville Colonels, and the Los Angeles Buccaneers, marking the first time the league had a team out west, although they never actually played any games in L.A. 
ultimately the LA Buccaneers played as a traveling team and really took up shop in Chicago. <laughs> you know, played out of that city and then traveled、uh, as a barnstorming team. Really, the NFL really shook things up the following season when it got rid of more than half of its member clubs. The Cleveland Bulldogs were back, and the New York Yankees were added. Twelve teams now making up the young league, and yes, I said the New York Yankees. The NFL was down to ten teams the next year. Duluth and Buffalo losing their spots in the league, while the Cleveland Bulldogs moved to Detroit and became the Wolverines. But they didn't last long. One of three teams to fold up shop the next season. Buffalo came back, and the Orange Tornadoes, Staten Island Stapletons, and Minneapolis Red Jackets all joined. Come on in. Now, as the NFL began its second decade in existence, the turnover of teams was starting to slow down a little bit. Three franchises were dropped, two joined: the Portsmouth Spartans, who are known today as the Detroit Lions and are the fifth oldest team in the NFL. In 1931, the Cleveland Indians were back. However, the Red Jackets and Tornadoes dropped out. 1932 was another significant blip on the NFL timeline. The Indians, Steamrollers, and Yellow Jackets departed, and the Boston Braves were added, which you know today is the Washington Redskins. But by adding only one team and losing three, the league was down to eight teams. It was the smallest the league ever got. We had the league really trying to protect itself and stay with. Fewer teams, but have them more successful. Then, in 1933, the Cincinnati Reds were introduced to pro football, along with two Pennsylvania franchises that would establish permanent roots in the league: the Pittsburgh Pirates, who eventually changed their name to the Steelers, and the Philadelphia Eagles. It's funny when you read the stories leading up to the first game that the team played. Claude Ray was very optimistic. We're a first-year team, but we're going to surprise people. Well, they went out and they played their first game against the New York Giants and lost 56 to nothing. Philadelphia owners Burt Bell and Lud Ray settled on the name Eagles in honor of the symbol used by the National Recovery Act that was part of Franklin D. Roosevelt's New Deal that followed in the wake of the Great Depression. The 33 season was also when the owner of the Boston Braves decided it was time for a new name. George Preston Marshall wanted to stick with the Native American theme, so he didn't want to keep the Braves name because、uh, that was the name of the baseball franchise. So he he chose the Redskins. That season was also the first in which divisions were created, which set up the first official NFL championship game. Bears ball on their own 12-yard line. Prior to that, the league champion was simply the team that had the best. Record at the end of the season, the Bears would represent the West, the Giants, the East, with Chicago beating New York 23 to 21 for the title. That game really was the beginning of,、uh, of the popularity of pro football. The following year saw the same exact ten teams return, marking the first time in the league's history there were no changes. But mid-season, the Cincinnati Reds folded and were replaced by the St. Louis Gunners for the last three games. It would be the only three games they would play as an NFL franchise. Also in 1934, the Portsmouth Spartans moved to Detroit and changed their name to the Lions. The name was inspired by baseball's Detroit Tigers, though the team had a different explanation. "Quote: The lion is considered the monarch of the jungle, and we hope to be the monarch of the league." From 1935 to 1936, the same nine teams remained, but it was in '36 that the NFL held its first ever draft. Before 1936, every player coming out of college was a free agent, 
And a lot of times, those players were going to the teams with the biggest checkbook. The Eagles used the first ever pick on Chicago Maroons halfback and first ever winner of the Heisman Trophy, Jay Berwanger. But Berwanger would never play it down in the NFL. The Bears, who acquired his rights from the Eagles, were not able to meet Berwanger's salary demands, which ultimately led him to take a job in sales for a rubber company. It's true. 1937, the Boston Redskins made the move to Washington, and the NFL grew back to 10 teams, awarding a franchise to the Cleveland Rams. These are the same Rams that call Los Angeles home today. The name Rams... Of course, it goes on a lot. It's like a 32-minute soundbite. I can't play the whole thing, so I just kind of played a few there, which is pretty cool. So thanks, Zach in Tennessee, for contributing. I had a This Is America. It was just Andrew Yang pretty much saying we're not going to have cars because that's their goal with all this climate shit. But we already know that's what they want to do. So I'm just going to skip it today because we're kind of long. And this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. And send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Foppodcast, gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Remember to check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and our Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. We're going to be doing one more podcast this week. We're going to shoot for 27 September, Year of Our Lord 2019. And then we're going to go dark until... Um, Probably the 7th. Yeah, it'll probably be the 7th. I might be able to squeeze one on on the 6th, but I will be departing uh, the 29th for Pensacola. Won't get back till the 3rd. I'm going fishing that weekend because it's my birthday. Uh, roughly around that area where we do a fishing trip, have a lunch on the lake, and take a picture to mark time. So I'm looking at probably the 7th. We're probably going to go with the 7th of... Um, October, which is hard to believe it's October. Uh, make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes, And tune back in Friday for another exciting edition of Flower Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flower Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.